0: 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the David the Dog Trainer podcast, episode ninety-seven. Today, we're joined by the infamous Dog Daddy. Let's get him on. Record. Oh yeah. Hello. Hang on once. Recording in progress. There we go. Augusta, how are you? Hello. How are you? Wonderful. Do you hear as loud and clear? Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Happy to to have you join us, man.
1: How's uh how things you.
0: going in L.A. over there? It's pretty fun, pretty good. The yeah. weather's
1: always good here, so it's, I think he puts you in a good mood every day. You know, when you go out and it's beautiful and sunny.
0: Yeah. How long have you been there now? Uh, it's been four years. Four years in L.A. Yeah, it's been four years.
1: Uh, right before the pandemic had started. Um, so this year I have been traveling, so I'm, I'm almost not here. Yeah. I'm, you know, traveling back to back.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you seem ridiculously busy. I was watching your stories that you were posting last night and you seemed like exhausted. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I do it to myself. You know, I really love to be active. Um, it's something that I have always been like that. I have to be doing something all the time. Yeah. So the next thing you know, it's like I could be like falling down, but people yeah. like my friends, they don't understand how I can keep going. Like Even if I don't eat all day, I will still have, like, be active and, yeah, it's crazy. So I have to actually force myself to, like, you know, yeah. take care of myself also.
0: Yeah, take a break. I mean, it's you were saying that, like I said, even yesterday in your stories. It's just like, you know, when you own a business and you have so much kind of responsibility hanging over you and so many people yeah. that, you know, are either reaching out to you for help or people that are depending on you from a employee standpoint or something like that, it is very, mm-hmm. very difficult to just, like, shut off.
1: <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think especially when you really love what you do as well. Sure. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like work, yeah. you know. So for me i can keep going all day like literally my classes are supposed to end at five there's been times that i'm there like a bunch of seven it gets dark and yeah you know for me it does not feel like i'm making a sacrifice by staying longer so it's just like it's easy to keep going too
0: yeah 100 um totally totally get you so is this much travel with like all the seminars and stuff that you're doing is this a newer thing like were you doing this through the pandemic i mean or or how you know how new is is all the travel
1: well, so I have, you know, like things for me started very um, randomly because it wasn't planned out. Like yeah. I, you know, I, we can get into that. But mm-hmm. uh, with, it was basically based on demand of people asking me for help. Sure. And so therefore, I really didn't know like what direction I was going right from the beginning. Yeah. Like whether I was, you know, it's not that I decided I'm going to be a dog train. I'm going to do a board and train or I'm going to do one on one It was just kind of like based on whatever people asked. And I tried many different ways of yeah. helping people through training. Um, so back then when I started getting some publicity with a video that went vital, uh, that was a lot of people from you know many different parts of, of the country and sure. other places that were requesting for me to come help them. Yeah, And one time I decided that I was going to do it and I started traveling. I did that for a while, but I had my own dogs and a property to, to take care of. Um, so over after about one or two years of doing that, and this was maybe like, seven years ago
0: yeah
1: um i then took a break you know it was just too hard to leave my my own dogs to be able to travel yeah and i feel like honestly you know there's been moments where i was kind of like stuck because of the way the things started out for me like i said with not having a clear direction on how i'm gonna do things or you know really what i'm trying to achieve with this since when i came to the u.s like i was not even planning on staying here. yeah. So this dog training thing is what really kept me here uh, because I was born in the U.S. I grew up in Brazil. Yeah. My family wanted me to come back here uh, you know, for, forever. And I never wanted to. I grew up on a farm in Brazil. So I had my own cows and horses and dogs Yeah, uh, my entire childhood. And so when I came here, it was kind of like after many, many years of them insisting that I would at least try it out. Mm-hmm. And after the first year, and I got my first dog, and people started asking for help. You know that that's basically how everything started with with the professional dog training. Yeah, because my family didn't really ever saw a career in it. Sure. Uh, so I grew up working with dogs, like my even from like childhood. Like I, that's the thing that I was attracted to, is communicating with animals and getting being involved with them, and like that was, that was the only thing I focused on. You know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. in Brazil, they didn't see like you know, a, a future with it. So they always try to actually uh, get me away from that, <laughs> you know, other, into, onto other things. Yeah. Um, so long story short, when I started with all this, and like I said, I started doing training, tried many different methods. I did the traveling around, still very confused on like what direction to go. And I guess I, I could say like I got distracted at, at times because sure. I was still very young. You know, I, I moved back here when I turned 18. Yeah. Um, on my 18th birthday, and I, I didn't speak English or anything. And I uh, felt very out of place. I mean, I had a couple of family members, but that was about it. And the lifestyle was definitely very different, especially for me. I grew up in a very isolated farm, like in Brazil.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I had like, you know, we, we didn't have fences. We didn't have neighbors right next to us. And so to move into a small, like normal neighborhood area was, you know, very different. Um, yeah. And then... You know with with all with all that being said I, I i did travel before um and then got distracted with having my own with the training um and me having a lot of freedom right away i became mm-hmm. very independent like i moved out when i was 19 yeah. was already doing this business full-time even without a clear vision of like what what i was doing business-wise and what where i was trying to get it it was just people saying you know like they were so amazed with what i was accomplishing with one dog and then it was the neighbor would call me and uh, all the relatives, and it was through word of mouth. And so it it kind of like, it blew up pretty fast uh, locally at first in Massachusetts. Um, And then I got distracted. I had my own property, my own, you know, space, and I started getting horses and more dogs, and like people were, you know, dumping dogs to me that were too difficult to handle, which I was basically stuck there just taking care of those dogs. So essentially I was like, overwhelmed a lot of the time um you know i knew like i love working with with dogs and i knew that was like what i wanted to do but many times i found that i couldn't do it because i was at home i was limited i I guess i should say with like what i could really do because if i had some rescue dogs at home and i had my own pack of dogs and other animals you know i couldn't (laughs) be traveling and uh, doing what i'm doing now yeah so i took a break and then I moved to California, like I said, four years ago. Um, I downsized at one point. I had a, a few dollars dogs and mm-hmm. dogs uh, on a on a ten acre prop- property before I moved to California, and it just didn't feel like you know that's how I wanted to do it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a very much like a facility setting, and it just didn't feel like it was for me. I had uh, employees helping but I still felt like I had to really be there there was a lot of responsibility there's a lot of stress yeah because you know constantly new dogs coming in like that just don't know how to behave and just you know a lot of dogs in one place oh, it's, yeah, it's stressful 100%. and for me just something was telling me like that's not it for me yeah. but I still didn't know like what am I like what do I do from here yeah so that lasted for a few years then moved to California with um, downsized to six dogs Staying with me, mm-hmm. so all my other dogs. This was the four years ago is when I made a decision to a hard decision because I was stuck with the dogs that I did have, yeah. you know, sure. um, of my own dogs, and so it was really hard to like. If I really want to to pursue more, to be able to do more, yeah. whatever it may be, you know, at this point I had realized there was a lot of interest in me, yeah. uh, in my style and the, the style of training. So I thought I wanted to, I think what happened was actually, you know, I, I blew up on, one video blew up on, on YouTube. Yeah. And so from that, people followed me on Facebook back then. Mm-hmm. And that's where all my business came from. Yeah. When Facebook kind of changed the settings a little bit where like I would get thousands of likes on a photo. But, you know, now you had to pay for people to see your post. Mm-hmm. Like things started to slow down a little bit and I, you know... Started, that's when I realized like really people were finding me on YouTube, not Facebook. yeah and I started to you know to try to, to post and go back into what really matters if I want to to grow because I, I think I always wanted to like build a brand around my name, not always, but I guess after like I noticed that you know people were really interest yeah. interested. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to focus on posting more videos regularly. And that's when I moved to California and, and focused on that. Yeah. Um, and then that was the pandemic. <clears throat> Things were a little bit, you know, difficult um, and everything was slowed down. Um, I had a lot of fun. I definitely felt like the first year was like, definitely was well, the first year was definitely the most successful year I had. Yeah. And I think it's because I wasn't a very clear um, state of mind. Yeah. Like I felt like it was I was at home. Um, So there was just a lot of activities that I could could do with my dogs. Uh, The weather, you know, was in my favor as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know how to explain, but when I looked back, like a lot of things that I just knew I worked really hard. I I mean, I was doing this already for a while. And I just felt like I was held back because I was at the wrong places at the wrong times, you know. So when I moved to California, I think all these doors, all of a sudden opened where I was able to, just, just start being extremely productive, and so a lot of things that I wanted to accomplish all came to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, it, it can be like materialistic stuff. It can be um, just you know collaborating with other certain people. Uh, just the ability to be able to be more active and productive, and you know working more. I was more focused, so I was able to accomplish a lot of that. Yeah, and then I would say. Um, so at the end of last year, in October of last year, then I started feeling the same way again. Like I just kind of felt a little bit stuck. Sure. Like um, I had my own six dogs and, you know, they definitely limit my life a lot. If you have six dogs, it's a lot of dogs that to have. Yeah. all the time. And especially with my dogs, they have a certain routine that they have to follow. Sure. You know, they're trained as a pack. They go out and perform yep. a certain like perform together, you know, a certain way. So they have very specific routine that I follow with them. So mm-hmm. for example, you're never going to see anyone else walking my dogs. Yeah. You know, most people don't realize that, but like they're not allowed to walk my dogs. So if I travel and I leave them at home, mm-hmm. they are only allowed to take them in, in the backyard. Yeah. Um, they have like, I'm the only person that walks them. They just have a, a certain way to do everything, yeah. you know, everything for them to maintain that uh, obedience as a pack. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, I'm, I, I am very locked down when I have the six dogs. Yeah. And I started feeling a certain way about it because I love it. I mean, I love my dogs. Of course. But I just know that there's like more out there for me. And there's also like um, a huge need for my help. Yeah. That if I am, you know, settling down in a way, it's like having kids and settling down and then no, no longer doing what you're good at and going out there and helping people, you know. Yeah. Um, I started feeling that way. And then, like, again, didn't know what direction to go. Mm-hmm. So in October of last year, one of my f- uh, friends that I had for about a year, he was like, you know, I, I moved to Mexico four months ago. Mm-hmm. We have this full house and maids and everything, like, easy here. Sure. You can do whatever you want. There's a house next door to mine that you can get and you can bring your dogs. And I started feeling like I needed... A change sure so you know it was a very quick decision to go to mexico i know there's a lot of street dogs there there's a lot of people that try to help them but they don't have the resources and i was still trying to figure out like what direction to go specifically with my youtube channel
0: yes because at
1: that point i had blown up on tiktok and I had 2.2 million followers on the first my first TikTok account. That happened very fast. Yeah. But then that TikTok account got taken down because I was posting a lot of skits, and you know, again, I I still didn't have a clear direction that sure. on how I was gonna go with it. And TikTok is very sensitive, so they would take some yeah. videos down, and yeah. So essentially, it got taken down, and then I was trying to focus on YouTube because. TikTok actually like made me realize there's a lot of, again, a lot of interest in what I do yeah. and people were really excited to follow me. And so I started posting on YouTube and I thought going to Mexico, rescuing dogs, there, that can be content that I can create in addition to, to being able to help them network those dogs and sure. helping them train and, you know, show them other things. So I did that. Um, and it was really good at first, you know, just being in a new place and it had all this, this vision and you think things can go great, but then it's a very, a very different country. Um, so it's, you know, it was very difficult for me to be there and for me to adapt. Yeah. So you only lasted about two months. What part of Mexico were you in? It was very deep into Mexico. It's called, um, Oh my God. Uh, I won't be able to remember the name now, the name of it now. Do you know what it's Uh, near? It was far. It's like, um, I have a blank right now. I can't think of the name, but mm-hmm. it's it, basically I, d- I drove through San Diego across the border and then you go like two days driving oh, wow. into Mexico. To get yeah. To wow. it. mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very, funny. um, I'll re- probably remember <coughs> the sure. name as we go. Yeah. And so, yeah, I actually drove there with my six dogs and, you know, I started doing what I said with helping the rescues there and, and collaborating with them. I was able to, to help them send some dogs to the U S and, we started filming. Um, but then uh, just the lifestyle of being there was yeah. definitely not for me. And, and I was already, like, I, I was already realizing that, but I was there already. So I didn't, you know, I, 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 was a little bit stuck. And then one of my dogs that was 10 months old, she had all her vaccines and everything. Yeah. She ended up get getting distemper.
0: Yeah. I saw and that. It's hard to
1: hear I, that. you know, when I say like, people don't realize, like I, I know what distemper is, but yeah. it's not something that I ever heard of someone saying, like, my dog or my puppy died of no. distemper. Yeah. So especially it's not, not at a that age, thing. I feel like. Yeah. That seems like I a mean, poverty is way more common. and you know, like, you hear yeah. puppies all the time. But distemper, especially I have one that was younger than her. Yeah. So the fact that this is the one that's, like, a little bit older, like 10 months old, yeah. completely healthy, that's six dogs, and then all of a sudden one is sick, mm-hmm. and she's just, like, losing balance. It was just a weird thing. Yeah, And then... You know, she. We had to take her to like a couple of different vets, and the third vet is the one that actually like found out yeah, that she had distemper. And yeah. at this, and it was a weekend that this all happened. So by the time that they found out, they pretty much said, you know, it's like it's a 50-50. We cannot guarantee anything. There's a lot of things we can try. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of damage already done anyway. So even if she makes it, that's a high chance she's gonna have. You know severe like long-term sure. side effects yeah uh, so we tried for a couple more days and then she ended up passing away mm-hmm. um it's, yeah and it, it was just like it happened really fast um with that distemper thing and so when that happened i started you know to really feel like okay so basically i put everything that i can possibly be doing because i know i because i had traveled before and i know the demand for my training out there yeah. like whether in person or in videos Like, everywhere I go, you know, there's a certain way that people look at me and they approach me. The moment that I handle a dog, like, I could be just anywhere without a dog and then there's someone there with a dog and they handle me the dog and immediately people around seem to be attracted to that. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a way that I communicate with the dogs and that they respond that's very attracting to people. Mm -hmm. So I already know that. I just sometimes um, haven't focused my... uh, my full time and energy into doing that. And so with that dog, Priscilla, passing away, which essentially, you know, I have had different dogs. A lot of people also get confused with that. Yeah. Um, I have a lot of dogs. They, they live with other people. Yeah. So when I started, you know, I told you I had up to a few dozen dogs of my own. Yes. So they're all there, they're all alive, but they live with other people. Yeah. As I downsized to having my own personal pack that they're with me full time. So when I moved to California, the reason that I actually, I actually had started with a new pack of dogs because before California, I lived in a 10-acre property in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So my dogs were well-trained. They moved with me to California. You know, the untrained eyes, they can't see that the dogs uh, may not be as perfect as I, as I would like them. Maybe they're not as relaxed as I would like them. Sure. Sometimes also it opens the door for judgment because, yeah. you know, if you bring a dog that is not used to being in a huge crowd and they're still obedient, It doesn't mean that they're going to be as comfortable as a puppy that was raised in that environment. Of course. So I wanted to have the opportunity to start fresh with younger dogs so that I could raise them in the environment that I'm currently at, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of people, lots of different environments that we go through every day. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I had started fresh. And so I basically was waiting for those dogs to develop into a fully trained pack, my new pack. So that I could do what I have done before, you know, the whole off-leash with uh, the pack of dogs. And so when she passed away, she was like just getting started with the off-leash. Yeah. And then I only had four other ones that were a little bit older than her and then the younger one. And so I really felt like, okay, it's kind of disrupted the pack, number one. And number two, I was like, I don't want to bring another dog in. I don't have the time to start over with a brand new puppy again yeah. to have this dream pack so that... Because at that point, that's kind of like that was my thing. That's how I could get my name out there yeah. to be able to build a brand and, and grow my you know my views and all that. And that's basically when I started pacing around a little bit and I, you know, made uh this decision that it was time for me to to start like really focusing on the training. Yep. Because up until then I had never focused full time on the training. I was um Either distracted with my own dogs, and just taking them out and being, you know, having to be there to take care of them, or other animals, and then you know breeding, and doing minimal training, which is literally the reason that everybody finds me is through the training. Yeah. So I decided that it was finally time to focus 100 percent of my time into training, and I started promoting it right away that same week. And you know, the the other decision I had to make is that. It was, I knew it'd be hard to travel, even with, with just the five dogs. Yeah. Uh, the amount of traveling that I scheduled right away was a lot. I was, you know, this, this was back in, um, in January. So I started the first week of January of this year, and I have been to every state in the U.S. besides Hawaii and Alaska just this year alone. And That's I have awesome. repeated many different ones of them, like Texas and New York, you know, like a few times already this year. Yeah. But I have been to every state besides Hawaii and Alaska. And then I went to England, I went to Canada, uh, tried to go to Australia, but I had yeah, to go visa. That. Yeah. <clears throat> so, but you know, there's a lot of demand for me to go there. So I plan on actually venturing out to more countries next year yeah. to help people there. Yeah. But this that's basically how you know how I got to where I am now. Sure. Um in January I just started focusing full time and basically I mean my YouTube channel had a hundred thousand subscribers at the beginning of the year mm-hmm. so now i'm at like almost 1.3 million yeah that's you know over a million just this year yeah. and it's just again because i started concentrating on what matters which is my training
0: yeah that's awesome yeah i mean you've had uh, an explosive growth so i i think i was telling you like i've i've known about you since i don't know probably like 2014 2015 somewhere around there obviously and you've went through so many i've you know i've kind of seen just secondhand, right? Some of the changes that you've gone through from like the facility kind of vibe, right? And then you transitioned yeah. to Mexico, and then when the dog daddy stuff started and everything. Um, and so, so what are you like thirty two, something like that? Thirty one. Thirty one, man. My mental yeah. math is pretty good. All right. Uh, Yeah, and and you got started super young. Like I was in a similar position when I uh, first started my first training company. I was I think nineteen years old or something like that, eighteen years old, and. Um, the, the, the pressure you could feel sometimes of like the demand for your service. And obviously in your case, it was more so cause you had a, a lot of viral videos. I mean, I remember the first one of you walking the German Shepherds off leash, just went bananas. Like it was all over yeah. the internet everywhere, you know? Yeah. Um, and having that much demand for your services being so young and not quite established with what it is you even want to do in the first place, but having that heart to want to like help everybody, you know, it could put you in these like really almost like trapping positions where it's like, God, like yeah. now, I, now I'm forced to stay in this location and continue taking these dogs that, you know, people are trying to put on me because I don't want them to go to the shelter. And it's like, but I got to keep taking these training clients. And that's got to be really, really challenging to deal with, especially on top of the fact that, you know, you came here from Brazil, obviously. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember. A lot of, uh,
1: well, you know, I think one big thing that people, a lot of people don't even realize because, since, you know, especially now if someone finds me like I'm all over social media and sure. that's like, you know, pretty much my, my, I, I try to actually concentrate on just my own stuff. Um, and that's been going on for years already because i realized, you know, like the people that get to know me, that follow me, like they're much easier mm-hmm. to deal with. So like, I don't really need to venture out to other, uh, like other people's platforms or other sure. forums you know, to, to post. Uh, but when I first started started like when that video actually blew up yeah uh um, was
0: that like 2014 I, somewhere around there um yeah something like that okay
1: but i you know when i started posting on social media like be, before i moved to the u.s and I, I never had social media sure so i never got my first uh phone at all since uh, what until i was at like almost 19 Mm
0: -hmm.
1: before I ever had a phone. Wow. So I was definitely, I I never was inspired to be on social media. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. that was never a thing for me. Uh, I was always the last one to get onto everything. Like I was the last one to get on Instagram. I was the last (laughs) one to join, you know, every platform always. Um, I just always loved working with dogs. And so it took a long time for me to, you know, just realize there's a lot of potential, of course. So for anyone who is trying to, to run a business, you know, i mean they would know like the smart thing is to to be on social media sure um but i feel like that was a lot more pressure on me as well because i wasn't used to social media and you know it can be very toxic and so of course it has the good and the bad and I, i didn't really know how to deal with it in the beginning so it was definitely that was definitely another thing as well that was very um scary. It was basically scary and very confusing to me. Yeah. And I really did not have anyone around me either to um to shed any light on, you yeah. know, how it worked. And so there was just a lot of pressure from both sides. That, I mean when the video that video went viral, I had people from all over the world reaching out to me. They wanted to me to sign for a TV show. They wanted me to sign to to have my book. They wanted me to come to them. They wanted to be friends. They want yeah. but then there was also the other side as well, you know, people yeah. um who just were very um s- skeptical of sure. what they were seeing because it was like this brand new person, like who is this person? Yeah. You know, it's not that they can even look back and be like, oh, this is him when he was ten years older. Yeah. Because there was nothing. I was never posted on social media. There was nothing about me at all on sure. any social media until I was nineteen. So yes. it really like immediately within the first year, you know, exposed mm-hmm. to, to millions of people. Yeah. And Also, when, again, I didn't really, I was still not looking at it like, oh, I can do this full time, Mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of people, they take advantage of that, that first blowout and they establish a career out of just doing social media, you know, from that one, that one blowout that they get um, for one post that they make or something, but that never rang a bell for me, Mm -hmm. you know, so I was just excited that it was a lot of people that I was working with and so, That was good. But it took until recent years for me to realize that I could do this full time.
0: Yeah. That makes sense. I think, uh, you know, there's so many different topics and directions I want to go with this, but just some of the things you already discussed, you mentioned, you know, a couple of times, like the downsizing of dogs, right? Like you had, you know, 12 or, and then you you were six and then less and stuff like that. I think to a lot of people, that's a confusing concept to grasp because it's like, well, they're your dogs. Like, why would you, how would you just, you know, I could never imagine giving away one of my kids or this or that. And Mm -hmm. I can relate to that just from the standpoint and and kind of help shed some light on how it's a little bit more normal than people would think. Because when I first started getting into dog training, I was very involved in like the competitive dog world. And I worked very closely with a breeder who bred Belgian Malinois. And in that sport world, it was so normal of when you hit a point where it's like, I either can't provide what this dog needs anymore, or this is just not the right temperament and and personality that I'm looking for out of a dog to find a yeah. more suitable home for that dog than at that point, right? And it's like, yeah. I feel like people have a hard time grasping that and will like hang on to that point so much of like, you're such an asshole, right? Well, you got rid of your dogs and this and that without looking at the reason why that happens is actually because you love them so much, you're trying to provide a better place for them to be where they're gonna thrive better and have a more uh, suitable environment, you know? Yeah.
1: So there's also another thing, too, that I feel like a lot of people don't realize it. A lot of people, they, um, they're they limited to only what they know. Sure. You know, and I think a lot of it, too, is that selfish because of how they build a relationship with their dog. 100%. That they kind of force their dog to be a certain way, super uh, in an unhealthy level attached to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where the dog has anxiety when they're not around. So they 100%. feel like, oh, my God, you know, I could never imagine my dog suffering when they are away from me. <laughs> yeah, but, that's a good point. Like, you know the people that uh, that get dogs from me that you know are a little older. They know like these dogs the way that I raise them, and they they're so exposed to different environments and different situations all the time. Um, you know they they the dogs that are going to go to a new home they go to like a preparation period where um, first of all the relationship that I build with my dog is very healthy, of but they know when they're supposed to be really fully super engaged with me yeah. versus anxiety and unhealthy attachment yeah. where they cannot be away from me yeah. my dogs don't have that because of how i raised them so it's not like that they are you know not eating and, and looking for me when i'm gone mm-hmm. because it's really the way you raise your dog and you know and so i think a lot of people don't realize that yeah uh, my dogs they go to a new home it's like they adapt extremely fast yes. like the same day people send me pictures and videos of the dog sitting on that couch and watching tv like nothing happened you know mm-hmm. Um, And it doesn't mean that they don't care. It's just that they're very confident. They naturally go... You're preparing the dog for success when you do that because they go to a new home. They're not stressed out. Mm -hmm. And as long as they're in a good environment, they're going to adapt to that new environment very quickly. And naturally, they're going to forget about... They're they're not going to be stressed out thinking about anything else because they Mm -hmm. live in the moment. And I hand them to the new owner. People... build this unhealthy relationship with their dogs based on their own, like I said, selfishness where they need
0: that affection back from the dog. And that and like unhealthy, that. like anxious behavior and stuff like that that these dogs are displaying. Yeah, they need like the
1: dog they to need, show a lot of excitement yes. yeah. for the owner to feel like the dog is happy 100%. and that and that the dog likes them. Yeah. When I don't need my dogs to do that for me to know that they like me, yeah. You know, there's way, <laughs> there's many other ways that I can demonstrate yeah. that, and my dogs are very attached to me. Yeah. But they're still very stable and they're very content. If I walk away from them, if I leave them home alone, um, they're not at all stressed out you know, if I walk away. So it, it just makes that yeah. whole transitioning much easier for the dog. So if anything, the way that I look at it, which is when I see comments like that, you know, people, how can you get rid of the dog? Sure. It's actually bothers me because the one that actually hurts the most is you letting go of that dog. Yeah. Because sometimes you have a really strong attachment to a dog that you know that you are, whether the dog is not a good fit and you have to pick and choose, you know, if you're trying to do certain things, like you said, selecting dogs for a certain purpose or maybe the, even your environment may not be the best one for that particular dog. Yeah. So I have had dogs that, you know, didn't do well being in a in a whole pack um, mm-hmm. situation or like in the lifestyle that I live now with a lot of chaos around them, they just weren't happy. Sure. You know, you can train them, they can tolerate it, but it doesn't mean that they're the happiest they're not in that environment. Right. Yeah, yeah. So if I make a decision, because I have made decisions of like the dogs that were the closest to me that... You know, they, for me to let them go, so it has nothing to do with the dog. Yeah, it was like just for the betterment of for that future. Yes, um, that you know, I needed to sell like different dogs that would be best for the lifestyle that I live. That therefore would be better for the dog as well. Mm-hmm. And then it it was such a hard deci- decision to make. It's like you really have to prepare yourself to let go of something that you really care about. Yeah, and you know the dog is gonna adapt to the new home easily, but you're gonna feel like you may regret it the next day and you're never yeah, going to yeah. be able to get that dog back. And you have such a, you know, a bond with that dog. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. That's so it's, I feel like
1: it goes both ways. But as long as, you know, people understand that just dogs, um, you know, th- there's a different way to look at it. Not just like the way that you raise your dog. Yeah. Um, means that every dog is going to be the same way, you know?
0: Yeah, and past that, it's it's funny. So, like, we do, you know, board and train programs at our facility and the owners will constantly ask, like, oh, my dog's going to be so stressed out when they come there, this, that, and I always tell them, I'm like, your dog is going to do way better than you're going to do, because it really yeah. is you are creating this in your head that your dog is going to be so anxious, but dogs are so freaking adaptable, and as long as when they go to that new place, they're provided with what it is that they need, whether it's a good routine or a good structure, they're so adaptable. I always say, like, Like, if I were to die today and my dogs just went to some random person, they'd be fine in 48 hours, you know? Yeah. So uh, how much of that mentality, because, like, I feel like I just kind of, I never grew up with dogs, right? So, like, when I started getting into dog training was pretty much when I first got my very first dog. So I never had this association of them being, like, quote, unquote, like, (laughs) like, children, like a lot of these unhealthy relationships and stuff that people have with their dogs, uh, I kind of always just saw them as dogs, right? And I love them, and they're fantastic, and they provide all these wonderful things for us, and they're they're wonderful, wonderful creatures, but they're still just dogs, right? Um, yeah. How much of that mentality that you have do you think is due to growing up in Brazil? Because I've seen, you know, traveling to foreign countries and stuff or, you know, talking to people in other foreign countries, just how different the relationship that they have with those dogs really is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, it really comes down to uh, what you see around you. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, yeah, in Brazil, of course, like, you know, dogs are going to be running loose on the streets. And even where I live, like all the dogs, they were just basically, uh, they have their own little territory that they established around the house where they lived, yeah. but they, they weren't locked in anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? So it, I, my whole vision, my whole like understanding of dogs too is, it's different because of seeing dogs in different environments, like how they would behave naturally. Mm -hmm. So in Brazil, on this farm where we lived, like the houses were very spread apart. Like you would go almost a mile or more before you'd see the next house. And each house had their own little pack of dogs, Mm -hmm. whether it was like one dog or a whole family of dogs that would live there. And they were very territorial around that property. Um, So if the road is too close to the house, for example, I remember like if you, it was very common for you to drive, or people, anyone to drive, and the dogs would just follow because there was no such thing <laughs> as locking up your dog. Sure. So they'll just chase your car for miles and miles and miles. <laughs> and especially at a certain routine where you'd go like every day or yeah. so, the dog would already know. But throughout that traveling that they had to do, if they had to go by a house where there was like all the dogs that were territorial of that property, for example, these dogs would have to take a cart and go into the bushes and, you know, cut around. Not go too close to those dogs because they already knew that's another dog's territory. Yeah, and just com- natural communications in general. Like when they approach where we st- where we would go to, they may not approach the house because they know there's other dogs there that would be territorial. Yeah, they'll chase each other. And um, but you know that was a very natural thing. No one is intervening with that because that's all they know. It's, that's just all they know. I think in you know in the U.S. or in general, like what I feel with my clients is that a lot of the clients who just... in They build this fantasy that uh, of a lifestyle that they would have with their dog. And mm-hmm. it's based on just what they saw in a movie. It's really like that. It's just like, they, oh, they see someone at the park one time with a particular dog. Sure. And they're like, oh, my God, I want to have a dog. And they only see that little small vision of them playing at the park.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're not
1: realizing there's a lot more to it. you know. Yeah. And you can't just... I mean, I have a lot of clients that, you know, they got a puppy, or like a dopamine or a, a massive breed of dog um, with this vision that they would just have a best friend. Yeah. They don't want to have this dog, no. They want the dog to be, literally love them and be their best friend and follow them off leash everywhere and uh, run to the, you know, in a field with flowers and, and that's the, they, they, they psh, 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 that's my own puppy. Uh, <laughs> so they, they kind of like expect, you know, that. They, they, yeah. and I feel like you know, most of us can relate. I think when you really put your mind to something and you really believe, you know, that that's what you want and that's what you need, and you really, really want it, yeah, it's gonna be really hard for you to snap your mind out of that and realize, like, you know, you can have some of it, but you gotta make some adjustment. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people they get a dog and they they're not thinking like that. They're just stuck on what they envision is this beautiful relationship with their dog. Um, without having to do any work, without having to actually train the dog to be yeah. off leash, you know, mm-hmm. they just expect that if they love them, and they give them a lot of freedom, and they never tell them no, this dog is gonna have the ultimate, the ultimate, ult, sorry, oh, the fine. utmost um, love and respect for them, you know, yes. and it doesn't really happen like that. Um, but I think that's definitely a big problem, and then. Once the dog starts to run the house and become destructive and intimidating the owner, uh, that you know, it's just a, a eighty pound, a hundred pound dog that takes everything from them, have no respect for them, mm-hmm. then they become desperate for help and they start to realize like they're gonna have to force themselves to now do everything that they never wanted to do with the dog, which could be just as simple as making the dog do things.
0: Yeah, You know, and
1: I have had clients like that, like they never wanted to make the dog lay down and stay down mm-hmm. because they're like, why would I do that? Yeah. They want the dog to have, <laughs> it, to be able to make their own decisions yeah. all the time, uh-huh. you know, and you have to explain to, to them that realistically that just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, Just based on how society is um, set up, you know, and, yeah. um, and how dogs have to comply to, to, to certain rules for their own benefit yeah. and the, for the owner's benefit, that doesn't realistic work. So, but I feel like that can be a little challenging sometimes to, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, uh, to put it through dog owners uh, heads.
0: Yeah. I think the, the idea just that, you know, it's like, it's like social media and like TikTok and TikTok in particular. I mean, obviously you know this better than anybody is like this, like echo chamber of just, these trainers that are just pushing this completely baffling, unrealistic like expectation and agenda on dogs, right? And it's like right. I look at people like you or we just had on the podcast yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with American Standard K9, who's another very popular TikTok trainer right now, but um, w- whatever. So, so they're just you know guys like you and him are putting out just like real life dog training right like hey this dog is okay. going, Well, i but think
1: also dog training is very complex of course like when you say what is dog training sure. how do you
0: describe dog training are you asking me that yeah yeah so uh i mean i think dog training in general is creating a communication system right and the ability to tell the dog yes and no in a way that they understand is kind of how i usually describe it yeah
1: Because I feel like it's really hard. Um, but if you say that, you know, there's like there's so many pieces to it. Like dog training. I would say like building uh, a relationship with your dog and being able to communicate with them and Mm -hmm. you know getting them to respond, but it's too very vague in my opinion. So when for example if someone sees me getting a dog under control, yes, and they'll say that's not how you train a dog. I wasn't training the dog. I mean, I guess it could say I'm training <laughs> sure. it because it's learning to respect me. So it's training yeah. the dog to no longer put up a fight. Sure. But it's not really the training that they are thinking that I'm doing, yes. you know, which is to get a dog to like people. That's yes. just the, the first step is to get them where they can even be in a position where we can move on to other things. Mm-hmm. Because when you get a dog that doesn't care about food, they don't care about anything, and they tried... You know, all these different approaches that people would recommend, like removing them from the situation. But what yes. if that whole year goes by and yep. they can still never be more than 10 feet to a dog? Yep. Oh, respect your dog's space. That doesn't work. What happens when you have to go to the vet? Sure. You know, what happens when the dog gets injured, gets an infection? That's yeah. literally so many things. What happens when you have to have a family member moving to your house? What happens when, you know, your neighbor is intimidated by your dog because mm-hmm. the dog is like trying to hop the fence all the time? There's just literally so many scenarios yeah. that... I think a lot of people watching videos, they don't realize that people have real lives. And yeah. everybody has a little bit of a different lifestyle. Yeah, And so, you know, that definitely, uh, like, I think that's the best way to explain that there's many different ways to train of a course. dog. Yeah. Sometimes um, some methods are not going to work as well. And then sometimes the dog does not have the time for even if the method would work like maybe if it took a year maybe if that would even work but sometimes you know people don't have that much time Mm -hmm. most of the time they don't have that much time because Mm -hmm. a lot of times when people come to me they're very desperate for the for for reasons like i said you know relationships they cannot have that partner moving into the house because the dog does not get along with anyone even after a whole year of them trying the dog still doesn't get along with other people yeah so the owner needs to learn how to manage that dog, Mm -hmm. how to get them under control so that they can show them a a, a whole nother way that the dog is not able to see on their own. And no matter how much you try, like I said, because anyone that have a difficult dog, you know, they would know this. You can try something for a very long time. The people that come to me, the dog didn't start showing aggression just yesterday. Mm -hmm. The majority of the dogs I work with, sometimes they have literally been 14 years of that. And they have already isolated them. The dog hasn't been going out for years. But then now they have a boyfriend with a young kid moving in. Mm-hmm. So it's either you know they complete which you know some people may say like oh then don't move in but you know that that's not
0: <laughs> that's unrealistic yeah, yeah.
1: also when there's a proven way that does work. So if mm-hmm. the dog is going to be a little more stressed out with a certain approach but it's short term and then it solves you know this this big problem that uh mm-hmm. that the family is having the dog is having then like how could you say no to that?
0: Oh, I, I 100% oh. agree with you with all that, you know, and that's, that's exactly the point I was trying to make is you can call it training. You can call it getting them under control. We could call it whatever we want to, but the, the fact of the matter is there's ways to go in and take those seriously inhibiting behaviors that the dog is displaying and just get them to a place where they're not creating these roadblocks. So to the other thing anymore.
1: too is like very important to point out if you have a dog, especially dogs that are really aggressive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, a training does take time. That's why people, say training takes time. It doesn't work like that. Yes, you're right, but you're also wrong because I'm not saying that the dog is fully rehabilitated after training session. Mm -hmm. I'm just teaching the owners how to keep them under control. Of course. Safely walk them around so that they're not this, you know, beast that is dragging them and (laughs) and completely out of control that, you know, it's going to hurt someone. So the first step is to make that dog more manageable Mm -hmm. um, because even if the training doesn't really happen where they can... Rehabilitated that the, rehabilitated the dog on their own. At least they have the dog more under control now. Yeah. And we know that that's gonna, you know putting a muzzle on them, just having a way to restrain the dog a little bit better, so they're not being yeah. dragged around and the dog is doing whatever they want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that's definitely. And of course, those dogs, in my opinion, they need to be stopped right away. Of course. Because if someone is being dragged by their own aggressive dog and they can't take them anywhere, the dog is you know trying to jump the fence they need the first step is to teach the owner how to keep the dog under control yep. to at least prevent the dog from causing you know more damage. Yep. In the meantime, that they're being trained to actually lose those fears or, you know, whatever uh, triggers that is causing them to be aggressive in the first place.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I again, I 100% agree with you. Um, I think people have a false perception that When they see a 60 second video of like, you know, getting a dog under control, that they just think it's done there. You know, it's like, well, we got it here and we're done. The dog is fine. As opposed to, okay, we got it under control. Now we teach the skills we need to teach to provide the structure so that we could stop this stuff from the dog from wanting to do this stuff in the first place, you know?
1: Yeah. And I think that's why, I mean, I'm very confident in, you know, the like my audience and my clients. Yeah. Because I have a very high success rate with them. And, Obviously, the reason for that is because there's always a lot more to it than just the six second video. Yeah. And I'm not, maybe some people get the wrong impression. Uh, I don't try to at all make it look like it's done in 60 minutes as far as like the dog is fully trained after that, you know. But still, no one could approach those dogs. No one could handle them before. No one. Uh, There's just so many things, you know, years of trying different approaches. So every other suggestion that would be out there is just irrelevant because it didn't work for this dog. (laughs) So I'm just getting them, you know, to be under control. And those owners, they know that. And then people that continue to come to me, uh, it's also because they know that. They Mm -hmm. also can relate to that because they're struggling with their own dog. And I have many people that, you know, have taken a long time before they decided to come to a class. And they tried everything else first to end uh, until they realized like nothing is actually working. And they continue to see all just other videos and all just other people getting help, mm-hmm. you know. And so I have enough people like that now that I don't really have to be like, I'll say, worried about um, people who m- misunderstand, sure. you yeah. know, the video. But on the other hand, it is too pretty sad because I feel like most of the people they really are confused. Yeah. And the reason that I know that is because of the people that come to me and the feedback is like completely different. Um, it's clear for them to understand it makes sense from beginning to end to them. And, you know, the masses of people that like come around me, they they get to see that. And, I, uh, and based on that feedback alone is what keeps me going. You know, it's just like, okay, if they go home and I get a feedback like a week later and a month later, you know, it's constantly like people in the comments saying, uh, "That's not how you train the dog." I bet it's gonna be the same way, yeah. but in reality, it's not. Yeah. So, you know, because they think that I just held the dog, made them stop, and then gave it back to the owner and tricked <laughs> the, owner that the dog is trained. Yeah. And it's really not that at all. There's so much more. There's so many details. I teach my clients how to pay attention to the entire dog's body language. I teach them how to deal with uh, even a, in a single group training session. I teach them how to deal with everyday situations. Mm-hmm. If a dog runs to them off leash, if people try to pet their dogs, you know, s- by surprise, um, as well as how to communicate with their dogs. Mm-hmm. So there's so much more. I teach them about the, you know, safety, um, measures that they, they should take mm-hmm. such as muzzles and different things. And I get them to feel comfortable and then also confident. Yeah. Because a lot of times just people, it doesn't even matter the size of the dog, but they could have a 10-pound dog that they're completely overwhelmed by. And they, you know, the way that I explain to my clients lately is that they give the dog way too much power and they make them this much bigger monster that no one understands that is unpredictable and scary. And then the owner becomes insecure because they, they see their dog that way. So once they learn that they can, with the right tools and the right techniques and putting the mask on They can control the dog. They can communicate with them. They can keep them under control and calmer and they can keep everybody safe around them. It gives the owner more confidence. Yeah. So then, you know, they see them as just uh, this little dog. It's just a little dog that I can put a leash on and I can communicate with it. Yep. You know, which before they just didn't know they could do that. Yes. So that's by teaching them that it really, um, they leave my classes with more confidence and yeah. And, you know, they they feel like they are equipped to be able to handle the dog.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the confusion thing you mentioned is so big, too. Like, I mean, I couldn't even imagine being a new dog owner and like today's climate i mean there's just so much conflicting information out there and especially when you get into like there's the one side like you know like guys like you who are just putting out like hey this is what's possible right you could actually see it and then there's the loud minority i kind of call it of people that are just doing absolutely everything in their power to try to shut that down but not showing what can be done and it's like you don't right. want to feel like you're the bad guy. You don't want to feel like you're being mean to your dog or anything and, like, what everybody's basically accusing you of. But at the same time, it's like, wow, like, I want that, right? Like, yeah.
1: Well, it's also, you know, it's pretty crazy because, like you said, I think, you know, that's obviously that's two, the two sides sure. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's actually funny in a way because when people start – I personally don't know anyone who went from a trainer who is more – balance and use methods to actually get the dog under control to then be like, oh, no, I'm only going to go to positive reinforcement. It's definitely more people switching to the other side because we know it works better. And, again, we kind of go back to what I said about, you know, having to get the dog under control right away. It's like all those approaches with using, like, stuffed dogs to to see (laughs) if your dog (laughs) reacts. Like, so many clients come to me, and they are so amazed with, like, how quickly that dog and I'm not even talking about, like, you know, some dogs are more difficult. Sure. But there's a lot of these dogs that what these trainers won't because they want to use a slip lead. They want to use a prone collar. There's no, you know, firm, nothing on the leash uh, to communicate with the dog. So they, even after months, they're not able to get this dog to approach another dog, even when they're very mildly reactive.
0: Yeah. And so when I can
1: get them playing in a single day, it's, like, amazing to the owners. Yeah. And then they'll tell me, like, oh, the trainer used a stuffed animal. And, you know the way to look at it's like there's a couple things that can happen that one the dog is going to realize it's not a real dog yeah. and then it's not going to be reactive so the owner's going to oh it's getting better but they still yeah. can never get close to a new dog yeah. so it's going to go on for long enough until they realize that or number two you can actually make the dog more reactive because it's just like this stuffed thing standing there <laughs> that looks weird to the dog yeah, You know, so it could also trigger them to bark at that more but I don't see ever how it actually worked to get them closer to a dog yeah I mean, you know, I mean, maybe it's like a one-time thing, but then you still have to go close to other dogs because yeah. actually, when I train dogs to be okay with other dogs, that's so much more uh, in, with involving the other dog, like the you know the dog that we're using to 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 be around the dog that we're working with. We want to see that dog doing different movements, laying down, standing up, running around, barking. I know for a fact when I'm like you know reintroducing a dog um, to new to new dogs after they have been reactive for a while they can warm up to a dog. They're just calmly sitting there. Sure. But the moment the dog moves, they get startled and they start to bark at that dog again. Yeah. So they need to be comfortable with the dog, you know, slowly, of course, gradually, but we're going to get to a point where the dog is pointing at them and play, yeah. trying to play with them because all those things are going to be new triggers mm-hmm. because the dog is not comfortable, you know, being around dogs. Yep. So all those normal body language is going to be intimidating to this dog. Yep. And so, I, you know, but like I said, I feel like more people definitely do realize. So we can only do what you know what we can do is we just continue to put it out there, um, showing the feedback of all the owners and showing that it's possible. At the end of the day, people have to make their own minds. But I, I think the only reason that people actually go for positive reinforcement is because it sounds amazing. Of course, you know, if it was really possible. Why do we want to use any type of force? Why do we want to use any type of correction? If it could just sit on the ground and throw a couple of treats, you know, and yeah. then let's get into that a little bit, because that's another thing to like, you know, positive, positive reinforcement, even for the dogs that you would work, like a more mild dog that, you know, if people that you warm up to people, let's say there's some dogs that you warm up. Sure. If you sit on a chair for a couple of minutes and you show them treats, mm-hmm. they get to like you and then boom, it's done. They're yeah. no longer reactive. Even then, it's most of the time not realistic to use that approach, and that's this is how I explain it to my clients: is that it's only realistic if you're going to try to warm, to get the dog to warm up to a specific person mm-hmm. who's going to take the time to do that. Sure, that makes sense. But on a like to really change the dog's mindset that they're not supposed to be reactive towards everybody that they meet, you don't have enough time to be able to uh, imprint in the dog's mind. Because every time that you go out and your dog is reactive towards someone that just moves away from them because they're not helping you. They don't have treats. They don't have the time. They're not interested in helping you. Now they moved away. Your dog barked at them. They think, you know, they moved away because they barked at them. You're kind of setting you back. So you can spend all day getting people to help you. Your dog is going to warm up to those people, but they're still going to be reactive to everybody else that just passed by and don't take the time to use the approaches that you're trying to use. So it becomes unrealistic. Yeah. So if you really want your dog to comply, and it's not that you have to be harsh either. It's not no. that you have to yeah. like you know use say punishment, but a little bit of pressure can completely change your dog from being reactive, and then you can go ahead and start giving them treats. You know, and the pressure actually going to be less and less and less. I'm talking to I'm talking about a lot of you know sensitive reactive dogs are sure. not like really uh, necessarily like a, a, a hard to handle dog. It's an easy dog, but a lot of dogs are like that. Yep, and so, but the the only reason that people go to this approach of uh trying to not use any correction is because it sounds so nice, it's yeah. just it, you know, it's and and maybe some people are really stubborn, they really will go like ears, and they really, I think, also, of course, you know, they get brainwashed by the fact that this is the fair way, this is the right way. Yeah. You're being, you know, the, the, the you're doing the right thing by your dog. And in reality they're not because they're limited the limiting the dog yeah. um, to so many things.
0: Big time, big time. I, You know, as, as far as you were saying, the the method of, you know, having somebody let the dog warm up to a person. I always tell everybody, like, there's a big difference between your dog deciding that somebody is okay versus you telling your dog that somebody is okay, right? Yeah,
1: and I call it keeping the dog in a bubble. I do, you know, sure. keep them in a bubble. It's like as long as you don't approach them with a hat or you don't approach <laughs> them fast or you don't yeah. run, you know, as long as you don't <laughs> sit yeah. down and stand back up. And then people sometimes, they really want to force that onto other people as well. Mm-hmm. you know. And if realistically, like think about it. You're going to go out. You're going to run into all types of different situations. Of course. So it's just not realistic to let your dog decide. It's very important. That's exactly what I tell my clients. like Don't let your dog decide. Yes. Because when they are letting them decide, you're keeping them in a bubble. Because, well, they're going to choose to be reactive most of the time. Because they already know they're a reactive dog. Yes. And then if you avoid all those things that are triggers, you're keeping them in a bubble. And they're very limited to what you can do with them. And if they, you know, usually they have already come to me at this point. So I'm telling them, if you came to me, you're looking to do more with your dog, you know. Yeah. So that's what I can tell you. It's like, don't don't keep them living in a bubble and limiting them because i are allowing them to make their own decisions mm-hmm. when they don't know how to make the right decisions yet. Yeah. So you got to teach them first. And then you give them a chance to make the right decision.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, So speaking of training tools and stuff, what's your opinion? So I see you use prong collars a lot, muzzles a lot, things like that. Do you use e-collars ever?
1: No, I don't use e-collars.
0: At all? No, never use them. Okay. Any reason for that? Just because you Uh, don't need them or?
1: I, oh, I'm personally a big fan of the prone callers. Sure. And, you know, the way that I explain them to my clients, I think everybody use them, uses them a little bit differently. Sure. Um, I find that, like, my clients become very comfortable. A lot of them, they come to my class, they already know, but they still really think that maybe their dogs don't need it. And I explain to them, right, away. it's not a matter of even needing it. We're not putting it on your dog because your dog is more difficult than other dogs or yep. more aggressive. It's really... There's many different ways to use it also for different dogs. Sure. But most of the time I'm using it for guidance and I show them how they can actually use the prone collar with very little pressure using like two little fingers to communicate with the dog and guide them by using the right fit and the right, the right brand for that particular dog. Mm-hmm. I also don't stick with one type of collar for every dog. I definitely switch it up. Uh, that's just the way that they designed a little bit different. They send signals to the dog a little bit differently differently. And so you can buy a, using the right techniques and the approach and guiding the dog. I use it for more for guidance than for correction. Yeah. So sometimes I'll get a dog that is extremely aggressive, that already has a prone collar on. Mm -hmm. So the owner will pass the dog to me already with the prone collar. Mm -hmm. Um, But most of the time I would never put the prone collar on the dog until I actually have them already under control. Sure. So I use the most I slip lead. Until I get the dog to stop trying to bite and then I slowly introduce them to the prone collar. Mm-hmm. because I like to get the dog conditioned to the prone collar and, and, and comfortable with the prone collar and I explain it to my clients all the time. The prone collar is going to you know create restrictions so the dog is gonna feel restricted and some dogs don't like that because they used to harness all the sure. time. So now they feel something that you know does get their attention, it sends them a lot of signal mm-hmm. with a little bit of pressure when it tightens around the dog's neck it's gonna send signal, it's not pain. Uh, for dogs that calm, especially, you know, they're not forcing against the, like trying to bite or anything. Um, they're going to respond very easily to the prong collar with very little pressure. So you're using it more as a, like a guide, a guidance tool than a corrective tool. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it's also the dog. It builds engagement. It get because you're constantly getting the dog's attention because it get it sends some signal. You're reinforcing commands like sit. Um, to for them to stop you're able to reinforce the heel you're able to reinforce where you know thorns and and many different things but you're constantly like keeping the dog following directions from the leash therefore it builds more engagement because the dog gets conditioned to always taking directions from the leash Mm -hmm. so the owners my the clients my clients they see it all the time you know putting the the prone collar so it becomes something that they definitely uh i'm really interested in using and then the e-callers, it's not that I'm against them. I know sure. trainers that use them. I just don't get the same. I, it's very com, it's much easier to be confused into the dog. Sure. Unless you really, really know what you're doing. It's much just less like personal, in, you know. Yeah, I think the prone caller is more personal. It's yep. like the prone caller is more the dog knows it's coming from me. Yep. Versus the e-caller, you I know you can condition the dog to know that as well.
0: Sure.
1: But also oh, there's sense. many different reasons too. Like I, you know, get really good results with the tools that I use. I wouldn't want to switch that. Yeah, and then I feel like with a prone collar, um, it's unless you have a long time to work with the dog and the client to get them you know, on the same page mm-hmm. with how the collar works and getting the dog conditioned to them. I think it takes more time to get the dog conditioned to it.
0: Yeah.
1: On average, like for most dogs, sure. than a prone collar, I wouldn't have enough time with the style of classes that I do. Yeah. Number one. Um, and then, like I said, just much easier to... Confuse the dog. And I feel a lot of dogs, like they can, they can be under control really quickly sometimes with the e-collar, but it's more because they are like scared of the e-collar sure. at first, you know, over time, of course, I know they can get conditioned to that. And if it really takes someone who takes the time to, to use it properly, to communicate with the dog, you know, again, just like sim- similar to the prong collar yeah. as a guiding tool for the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, but that makes sense. I feel like the, the owners would probably be able to, some of my clients, they probably would be able to get the dog under control faster with the e-collar, with some of the severe cases that I work sure. with, but they would have no control over the dog without it. And it would be really confusing for them to use both as well. Yeah. So I tell them, you know, I don't really use, I'm not against them. Now, th- that's a situation where if a client came to me and they had a very high, strong dog. Um, maybe they have disabilities. They don't, you know, they cannot really use their hands really well, mm-hmm. and they really need something um, to just be able to control the dog better. I probably would recommend them to go to a trainer who specializes in that. Sure. So they would get. I would help them get the dog under control. I would do a lot of training with them, and then they can go to get specifically trained for the e-collar. Yeah. I just choose not to even get involved sure. with it because, also, you know, back then. There was a lot of speculations where, like, I use e-collar to control this dog, dogs. <laughs> and even with the prone collar, yeah. you know, I my clients know I don't really use the prone collar to get the dog under control. Yeah. Like I said, you know, if you watch my videos, the dogs that have the prone collar on when they start, when they're aggressive, they already had the prone collar on. Yeah. You know, every other dog, they start without it, and then I put the prone collar after I have them under control. Yeah. So it's not the, you know, the prone collar that's making the dog submit to me at all. Um, sure. Because I would, uh, that would be traumatizing to the dog if they're not used to having the prone collar on. And unfortunately, I do have some clients that I, you know, I tell them don't switch anything that you're using on your dog until after I get there. Yeah. And sometimes they put the prone collar like the day of the group training. Yeah. And also you, do, you can definitely see a dog that's more stressed out with it um, or even frustrated because they just slapped the prone collar on. <laughs> yeah. And I, sometimes I don't know that, you know, I have a class, I... I kind of have to go dog by dog pretty fast um yeah
0: yeah no that that makes complete sense and you know i have a lot of respect for you know like you were just saying like if if you do see somebody who you think would be a good fit for referring them out to somebody who does e-collar training and stuff but that makes complete sense to me yeah i remember way back when when that first off-leash german shepherd video came out i think one of the big things everybody was saying was oh well he uses e-collars to control these dogs and it's funny like you've never even used them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really
1: seemed down from a couple of things. One is that those dogs were, all those dogs before I got, I got them already all full grown. There was sure. one dog that I got as a puppy out of that whole pack. So every other dog had no life experience at all. They came from living in kennels for the first two, three years before yeah. I ever got them. And they had no drive. They were more laid back because of that. They, they were limited to just being in a kennel and mm-hmm. literally just that. And so when I did a lot of the training with them and and taught them to be obedient, they were way more submissive, you know, um, displayed a lot more submissive body language. That was one huge thing. And then the other thing was that they had colors that were like dried up and they were like sticking out a little bit. And they would call them antennas. And, you know, uh, that was like an antenna or uh, things like that. And well, and then I guess the other thing that I was going to say is I'm not against... E collars. Sure. I don't really use them. Like all my clients would know, I have never put a prone collar on any of the dogs I work with. But um, even though I'm not against them, I also it, now I'm like if I really wanted to use it, I wouldn't care about what people say. Sure. Because I would have to have a reason to use. it. I would have to be able to justify. Yeah. You know, using it. And again, it's not that I'm that I'm against them, but I my the the tools that I use work yeah, really well working. for me. Yeah, and yeah. I don't yeah. Use it. Um, But also back then I would be, I didn't want to give people that Yeah. because it's, you know, even again, what I said with the prone collar, people know that it's not just as simple as slapping a prone collar on your dog to have them behaving like more than half of my clients have been using the prone collar already before they come to me and the dog is either pulling on it or they're afraid of the prone collar because you have to have the right type of prone collar, the right, uh, uh, fitting of the prone collar and then using it you know properly with the right techniques to get the best results yeah so we know that but i don't want just uneducated people commenting it's because they have e collar anyone can do that with a e-collar, and it's not true sure you know people cannot just walk their dogs off leash no. especially in a pack just because they put an e collar <laughs> on the dog yeah it's true takes a lot more than that uh which again same thing with the. The prone call, I, you know, the dogs don't behave just because they have a prone call. Of course, it makes it faster. Of course, it's a great tool for communication. Why would I not use it? But it's not for the reasons that people think, yeah. you know, that the dog is just intimidated by it and you're hurting them. Um, we know it doesn't work like that. And, and my clients know it doesn't work like that. But I, again, with, with the e call, I just didn't want to give people that. And because, you know, it's not true. And I don't want people believing something that's not true and then feeling sure. like, um, they either going to just slap up e-collar on their dog, number one, or mm-hmm. they're going to not get help because they think the trainers are just putting an e-collar and it's just as simple as that yeah. they can do it at home, you know, Yeah, when it's sure. not like that at all.
0: Yeah, definitely. What So it, it, as somebody who uses primarily prong collars, what is – so one of the common things we'll see is dogs come in that have been on prong collars – whatever their whole life or have been to trainers who have done prong collar work and the dog just like gets seemingly like calloused up to it like they just don't care about the sensation you know stuff like that what are some common mistakes you see that people make that inhibit the long-term success with the prong collar
1: um well that's definitely um i think the two biggest things is using uh oversized collars, both Mm -hmm. in the sense of the links being very bulky yeah um, which you know the sensation. Of course, you want the tips to be rounded, mm-hmm. but you want it to be a little bit uh, thinner as well because you want that sensation around the neck. Sure. You want it you know to close and and feel the not puncturing but literally sensation. Yeah. And when you when you when it's bulky and heavy, uh, or especially if you use the that those plastic, you know. Um, yeah. The star. Covers colors. at the tips, I, they will also oh, take yeah. away from the sensation, and then if it's too loose, like too oversize on the dog, hanging low on the neck, which means the dog is just going to get comfortable, too comfortable with leaning against it. And over time, you know, again, the prone collar is another, uh, um, more proof that it doesn't really hurt once, sure. um, you know, if you have the right the right collar for your dog. But in this sense, it's not going to hurt. But if you're not yanking really hard on your dog, it's also not going to get the attention either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to yank hard on your dog. And most people don't. So they put it, they just slap it on the dog. And just sitting there and the dog gets comfortable with pulling against it. So over time, it's like they don't really see the prone collar as something that they have to respect. Mm-hmm. Now, it can tr- almost trick the dog into feeling like they have to respect it. Because when you first put it onto a new dog and you have the right size and the right type of prone collar and everything, that sensation is going to deliver a message to your dog, like, I should slow down, you know. And because they slow down and you release the tension, they actually get, co- they get conditioned to like, oh, a little bit of pressure i just have to do is stop and it goes away so they get conditioned to actually not forcing themselves against the prone collar yeah so i think it's the key is to not get them too comfortable with a collar yeah mm-hmm. um by not using techniques of like a little bit of a tug on the leash even though it's gentle you still want to do a little bit of that um just to you know when they feel it it gets their attention you reward them for that um, it, it builds more engagement. The dog. There's a couple of things, of course. They they learn to avoid that because when they're pulling, there's that quick little tug on the leash. Mm-hmm. Number two, when they stop, they look at you, and they feel accomplished as well because they know if they're walking right next to you and they're not pulling against the leash, that's the best place to be. You're rewarding them. You're calm. It doesn't have to be with treats or anything. You can, but you know, just in general, your, your body language and your the dog knows you're happy. You know, they 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 feel accomplished, and so it helps build engagement and that's, uh, yeah, I, I would say that's the biggest mistake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I would agree. Just intentionally using it. Like so many people, it's like they have it on and it's just there's the same exact amount of tension on constantly all the time, no matter what they're trying yeah. to get the dog to and do. And then again,
1: the wrong size of the column. Yeah, also big makes time.
0: Sense. Big time. Cool. Um, so why, so, so obviously like you're, <laughs> you know, you've gained such a ridiculous amount of success, right? And you like seemingly are this pinnacle of like, controversy from the standpoint of like you like there's people just like designated to trying to take you out it seems like right yeah why do you think that's the case
1: well I think you know it, it it started from the beginning it started right from the beginning I was very young very new and I got a lot of publicity right away mm-hmm. and I think well with within my clients within the circle of people that I work with they are always very amazed with what I do. They're always very, are like, over-the-top impressed. Sure. So they could have gone to other good trainers before, but they, they still see something in me that stand out. Yeah. And it took me a long time to realize that, but there was a lot of always... I never asked my clients to leave feedback. I never asked for, you know, reviews, none of that. People, like, voluntarily are very excited to share that they worked with me. Yeah. And this happened right from the beginning. And I think when you come out it's like, you know, everybody's coming to you. I was on Cape Cod. I was still 19, and I was in demand. Mode. I was already on the you know the front pages of the newspapers, and I was just a brand new person who they saw as someone that just started training dogs, and yeah. now he's taking over and he's tricking people because he has a pack of dogs. <laughs> and he, you know, whatever it <laughs> sure. may be that they put in their heads. Yeah. But right from the beginning, there was a lot of um, a lot of eyes on me, and just critics' eyes as well. You know, yeah. because all the breeders and trainers they were looking at me like. Who the hell is this person? Yeah. So I think um, it, 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 it started from there. And I got a lot of very positive publicity in the beginning. You know, it was all the way from just all the, the front pages of the newspapers um, and the uh, Inside Edition and, you know, uh, the Daily Mail, like a lot of that from the beginning. But even before that was just like the, the local news. I think it put a lot of eyes on me and people weren't sure what to expect from it. And it really wasn't until um, they realized I was not allowed to have as many many dogs as I had. Gotcha. And that was the first bad publicity I had. Now, the biggest problem is I didn't know how to deal with it. Sure. I was just kind of like, I felt striked and numb and i really didn't know yeah uh um, and there was a lot of like you know the animal control being out of my house and then all this sudden, I'm, like, I'm in this illegal business i'm like don't go to him it's running an illegal yeah, kennel. Yeah, yeah. and that word to me now is very laughable you know because yeah i mean people i know people would do that if they were in my shoes today yeah. in different ways because i only had three extra dogs yeah so it sounds like you know this bizarre thing, but I got a lot of bad publicity for having three extra dogs that wasn't bought. They were not bothering anyone, mm-hmm. but just because I was getting a lot of publicity yeah, and the animal for something. said, you know, yeah. he's, he's not allowed to have all the dogs that they turned into something much bigger. Yeah. So the first negative article was from Cape Cod times where they used the liters of puppies that I had that would still have gone home, Yeah. but they called it me running a kennel with 27 dogs. Sure. And so of course that it's shocking to people you know like 27 dogs yeah. in a house but those are puppies. But reality, yeah. most of them. Yeah. It's yeah. a lot of dogs. Sure. But not the same as 27. Of course. And then the other thing they did is they I had a room that I used um closet doors because it didn't have doors. Yeah. So I set up closet doors but it was a full blown room and they called it me keeping dogs in a closet. <laughs> So, you know, the comments from that took <laughs> over with, like, he is running an illegal kennel with 27 dogs. That are all dogs Yeah, Don't go to him. Oh, and that basically was the base of where, you know, a hate page started against me. Yeah. The different people were taking, they were, like, running with that. Yeah. Because I only had good publicity. I mean, I, I have no criminal records. Right. So I've never been arrested in my whole life. I have never been charged for any criminal anything. I, you know, was inspected by every agency in the country. Yeah. So that's another thing that I, you know, it's really ridiculous to think that people actually take the smallest things yeah. to turn into the biggest thing when it comes to me. Um you know, it could be literally they literally would be able to pick like one dog yeah. that was able to that had to be rehomed after I did a one training with it yeah uh and say like oh he ruined it. this yeah. dog and you had to you know <laughs> one dog out of thousands and thousands and thousands yeah, yeah, because yeah. i'm very content with the success that i have and of the course. owner wasn't complaining about it it's you know of course if a dog goes back no one no dog trainer can guarantee you know the owner is gonna have a hundred percent sure success with after they're trained Um, but like little things like that like i said they'll pick up literally on the smallest things i have honestly very cringy uh videos of my trainings i can admit to sure. that when i look back that i i'm embarrassed
0: yeah and it's not you're talking like old ones I was
1: doing and i can explain exactly like where they came out of yeah they're my own videos by the way they are all videos that i sure. posted i filmed and posted them i think right in the beginning with the hype of like all this demand there's of course it comes with the excitement oh let me show them more. let me show them all. Yeah, because i'm confident in my ability to communicate with dogs and my ability to you know control, uh just Give good results, mm-hmm. but during the hype, you can sometimes uh, let that take over, and maybe you know the corrections were a little bit too much, sure. Um, or not, you know, uh, on the right time, but it's a, that's about it, you know. And I can admit to that, and those are very old, um, like literally seven, eight years or more, yeah. That I would look back at a video and actually be embarrassed of the video, but it's you know, I posted those videos and. Um, you know, but besides that, I think, again, they, they, they picked on a lot of that and, uh, false news. Like I said, you know, the 27 dogs, yeah. I did not have 27 dogs and keeping them in a closet and running an illegal kennel. But then the funny thing is that, um, I started to realize that people didn't want me to actually just get better. Yeah. They really were looking for something to be wrong. Yeah. And so as I from that property, I moved to a hundred acres mm-hmm. because I had so many people on my side. So someone that I actually worked with her dog invited me to rent part of her property with a hundred acres. Sure. And I went to apply for a candle license. My candle license took and this is a hundred acres, by the way. Yeah. It took three months, three different meetings, to be able to get a license for 25 dogs because people started harassing the neighbors saying that I was gonna move there. And my dogs would be running loose and killing their animals, and none yeah. of that had ever happened. While well, that happened now, you know, uh, but just that I would take over and I would become a puppy mill. So was just all just things that they were saying to scare the locals from allowing me to have a, uh, this license, and so in tr- and and so it became very clear that they didn't want me to just have a license and become legal. They wanted me to go away, you know. Mm, yeah. So it, it carried from there, and then. Um, It was a very bizarre thing. They twisted a lot of things that I had posted on the internet. Uh, Just to give a little quick example, like I would be very, I would post a lot about every day that I was doing, everything that I was doing with my dogs every day. And I posted a picture of my puppies, a litter of puppies, um, how how quickly they can get messy. So I showed a picture of like, this was literally five minutes ago and look at them again because they just ate. I have to clean it again they took away the clean picture and they said, this is how his dogs yeah, live. Yeah, how they're staying. And yeah. they, they came in person and showed that they were, like, they had, you know, the audacity to do that. So the next meeting, I had a lawyer who had to come up with, like, a hundred pages just proving everything that they said. Yeah. Uh, the, the girl was completely embarrassed because, like, she didn't expect that someone would come and show that, like, they're lying, you know? They're just showing things that it's yeah. not really that. Um They can post a skinny dog and then not show the true story that this yeah. dog has... You know, being they came back to me like that. It's not like that I starved the dog. And yeah, and so anything can be manipulated. And there was a lot of that in the beginning. I think I don't know really what happened, but when the bad publicity came, I had also people, some people, um, step uh, backstabbing me, Mm -hmm. which was really ridiculous. And I realized they wanted some attention. Yeah. Because I had people that had only met me one time. They had left a five-star review without me asking. They had left text messages saying how amazing it was. And then all of a sudden, like, that dog was scared of me. The dog was trying to bite (laughs) me. The dog never tries to bite anyone. And it was very bizarre. And I realized, you know, people really want to get attention. And I was getting busier. I left, definitely lost a lot of friends in the beginning. Mm -hmm. When I was getting busier and things were getting out of control, if I wasn't responding fast enough, they thought they had a stronger relationship with me than maybe we actually did. And they were became strong, the strongest enemies. Like, they just had completely horrible stories to tell, even though it, did, it, it, it didn't match with everything that they had said before, yeah. you know? And they had no future experiences with me, so that doesn't make any sense. But when people put something on the internet, anyone can believe, you know, and they put a good story out there. And so there was a lot of that. And yeah. so for a, year, for a couple of years, that went down. Um, and like I said, I, you know, for a couple of years, I would say it was very difficult to deal with all of that.
0: I can't imagine, um, yeah. It took
1: a long time. And I, at one point, I was very scared of the negative comments. I was deleting. I was trying to block people, delete comments. And I was just afraid because it was embarrassing to have my strong supporters who hadn't seen anything negative mm-hmm. to see such hor- horrific things with, you know, me killing dogs and me um, keeping dogs in the closet to me running over people. when Like, there was just so many. Yeah. There was like... So many things, literally so many things. And that was very scary. Just Even though they were not true, it was scary to see people. Because I don't know how, how am I going to explain to people that that didn't happen? Yeah. You know, it's just like, it was difficult. And so it it, it went on for a long time. And then, I don't know, honestly, I think over time, I just get comfortable with it. Yeah. I know there's a lot out there. I think there's just enough people that have been to my house, that have been around me. Um, that know the truth, and you know, again, I have no criminal records. I have been inspected by every agency, and then it just comes down to you know, if you want to believe that, like I have enough clients, and I mean, what what more could I want? You know, like yeah. the people that I need to be working with, and I also know how to reach people and educate the people that I want to see the truth, yeah. which is by what the things that I post, and so I kind of overlook all the hate now. I I mean. I think no one is completely immune to it. Sure. But I literally don't focus on the leading comments. I don't read the comments most of the time, unless I post something specifically that I want to read. I completely ignore. Um, I think I know like literally how much I can help people. I know how what, the, the good service that I bring to the table and I don't need to prove that to people anymore. Like if there's enough word of mouth. There's enough people that have seen it. There's enough people that want my help and they would, pay thousands of dollars and they'll travel hours and they'll do anything to get my help that I don't need to focus on the people that don't know better Mm -hmm. and they you know and uh being negative with comments and then if someone reads those comments and they choose to believe that if really and it happens sometimes in a small scale but sometimes someone will be like signed up to my very rare now it's this like I said very small scale but they would be signed up to my class, and then they they'll see a negative comment. They'll they won't come to the class. Yeah. And then they see the class occur, and they see the feedback of the other clients, and then they literally will message me like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I missed the class." Sometimes they don't want to admit, but sometimes I will have seen comments. Yeah. You know, from the client, and I'll see someone saying like, "Don't go to him," and then yeah. it's like they realize it's their own fault because yeah. I'm not missing out on anything. Like I. The thing like I said, one thing that gives me confidence is that I can post myself anywhere with a single dog and I will have people around me asking me for help. Yeah. Or I can post a video anywhere and people want my help. So, you know, I don't have to really prove myself to you. Like I would love to work with people. I love like I'm, you know, I'm I'm very open to everybody. I'm, I'm a very forgiving person, I'm very easygoing. Um, but I also you'll be unrealistic unfortunately for me to sit there and try to defend myself through every negative comment. Yeah, and that becomes a full-time job. It becomes very um, unhealthy for your mental health. And you know, I, I have already done that before, so now it's really easy for me to overlook that. And again, just focus on the positive. It's just I have a lot of really great things that I'm working on. Um, I have already been stuck on like not focusing on on the right things for a very long time. So for the last yeah. couple of years, I've only been focused on the things that matter. Because I know my potential, like I said, I know the, my qualities, and um, and one that's like you know like good criticism. I'm also really good at taking that in. Yeah. Sometimes people don't even realize it, but it's because they want the drama. They want you know <laughs> me to respond. And yeah. They, I think they already realize at this point. Like, and I think most people after you do social media for a long time, and if you get like a lot of exposure, you know, there's like millions of people watching my videos all the time. So, uh, you know, between all the different platforms, TikTok and um youtube and facebook and instagram there's a lot and so it's you kind of become numb to it like i said it's just i don't really focus too much on the comments and if i do i literally scroll to the comments and i will look at the bad and the good together the same the same way nothing really sticks to me Mm -hmm. and in the beginning that was it was really negative too because people call me, my friends, call, did you see what people are saying about you? Yeah. I can't believe that person. Like, I was literally there. Why are they saying yeah, that? Yeah. I saw what happened. That's not what happened. And, you know, at first I would, like, like, focus time on that. And then now it's just, they already know they yeah. don't do that anymore because you've been calling me all day long about, a, you know, <laughs> comment. So call me when it gets a million views and I would respond to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's like, the reality is, even if someone makes a post about me, and they're getting like, you know, a few thousand views. That's like nothing compared to the millions of views I'm getting. So I'm not yeah. going to give them more traffic and put energy into that. Mm. So that's kind of like, honestly, how I look at it. Yeah. If they get enough people lo- talking about something that is worth me responding because people are getting mistaken by it yeah. um, and getting, you know, um, the wrong idea, then I'll be more than happy to respond. But otherwise, it's just a bunch of people with an opinion. And just like I get the good, I'm also gonna get the bad. Yeah. I really feel like I'm not perfect. And so like I have people that, you know, maybe are over the top praising of me and all that. Just like it is the other way. Sure. Um but definitely there's a middle ground that it is a little sad seeing that people are so confused. Sure. Like they really believe in what they're saying. And again, what we discussed before, they just they just don't completely gasp the the whole different lifestyles and people that need help now and the types of dogs that I work with and the different ways that I use the tools, you know, so.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, (coughs) and and honestly, like, I was even, like, looking at your comments the other day in some of your TikTok videos. It seems overwhelmingly positive right now, you know? I mean, obviously you're going to have the loud minority, but, like, it seems like quite a few of the people are really seeing that you're actually out there helping people, you know?
1: Yeah, I think, like I said, once you've really pushed, you keep pushing through, pushing through... And I have posted so many training videos, so many, you know, there's a lot of uh, positive feedback from my clients. I think people start to realize um, there's a lot of people that, you know, they're not fans. They don't follow. Sure. And so when something is posted on on, on an article outside of my social media, there's going to be a lot more Mm -hmm. negative comments. Sure. And I think, like, people, like I said, they know that. They get comfortable with that. So my audience, my clients, they don't come to me thinking that I only have positive, positive feedback. Sure. They clearly know. They come from my social media. They know that's both. I, but I don't have to sit there and explain myself to them either. Yeah. They understand it's a part of the game, it's a part of the business uh, of being on social media. So it kind of actually works in my favor as well. It's kind of sad to say because it's almost like they post so many things that if one thing is true and nine are not, it all makes up together. Yeah. So it's kind of like you know, they they become. Um, they're not a reliable source.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. you know
1: what I mean. Yeah. Because there's no like actual big uh, articles out there that really reflect on like something super negative. Yeah, there has been some in the past with the breeding part, mm-hmm. where which is a whole other topic. You know, which sure. I like moved on away a lot from the breeding. Yeah, uh, which put, it just put them in a very vulnerable position. Yeah, anyone knows that you know a puppy can be healthy today. And it can be with yeah. parasites tomorrow or a week later, and I think unfortunately, and again saying I'm not perfect, but I do go above and beyond to prevent all those things. It's not like, you know, I just didn't care or yeah. I neglected. But there was a lot of um, just little incidents of someone getting something that because they got it from me and I was, uh, you know,
0: yeah. uh, in the spotlight I had already. A yeah, yeah. Light on me. yeah,
1: you know, there was actually this like this mm-hmm. positive light where they think like nothing could ever go wrong i'm getting this amazing product and then not realizing that you still getting a living anymore yeah and so the slightest thing that would go wrong sometimes people would have very unrealistic expectations they would want a very unrealistic ways of solving that because i i really do try to work with people i have always been like that um but when it was really unrealistic and they would try to hold it above me and then it would turn into something where oh let me just talk about it then because yeah. you know you don't want to you don't want to give me $3,000 and let me keep the puppy. I'm going yeah. to go and post on the internet. And then they would do it. And I learned, again, not to let that affect me. Yeah. But it would definitely be a big toll because, you know, it's like everybody can relate to that. They think, Sure. imagine if I got a puppy, they got sick and yeah. I had to spend that much money. And and a lot of times it's exaggerations. A lot of times it's like a puppy, you took it to an emergency vet because... He had parasites. You yeah, know, and you charge five thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, like he could have called me for one hundred percent. But I, I, it really def- definitely gave me a lot of bad publicity from that. Yeah, uh,
0: from think- that side of things. The um, the breeding world as a whole. Obviously, we're not going to get into that. But like, I just remember from the Malinois breeder that I worked with, just hearing stories. Like when you're when you're dealing with like breeding dogs, and especially like maybe learning how to breed dogs or figuring out what your litter is going to be like. There's just yeah. so many things that can go wrong through that process that are out of your control. Right, and I, you know, um, I just had such a positive spotlight on me. Sure.
1: And I was on the spotlight so much that you know, unfortunately, again, it put it put me. Even more in a vulnerable position, yeah. Because I had people looking to target those things, and a lot of times the owners were not necessarily evil people trying to come it for me, but because they would post and and mention me, all it took was another trainer or yeah. a breeder to spot that to and up. then yeah. say, "Oh, let me write an article about this," you know. Yeah. And so it really turned like very small things that could easily be solved. Yes, which happens with any breeder. Yeah. Um. But it, it turned into this. I'm a monster who yeah. you know, takes advantage of people. And so I, I have moved on away from that a lot just because I feel like no matter how much you put into it, how much care mm-hmm. and precautions you take, um, you know, because there's always the unrealistic people, like I said. Even if you were to refund them full, they may still be unhappy. Yeah. So there's always leaving a little bit of room to where there's nothing you can do. They're going to be convinced that yeah. the dog has an issue because of you. Sure. And so it's going to come back at me yeah. with the training being that especially it's something that I grew up doing. I have been doing training my whole life when I started training it professionally, uh, which we didn't get a lot into that. But, no. you know, yeah. I it started fast, but sure. it's because I didn't plan on doing it here. Yeah. But I actually grew up already training dogs. I I I had worked in a dog trainer facility in Brazil since I was 12. It's a very wow. small one. Yeah, it doesn't it wasn't a big thing, like I said, in Brazil.
0: Sure.
1: But there was this dog trainer who specifically trained like protection dogs and guard dogs for, for commercial properties and stuff like that. So there's a lot of German Shepherds, which is kind of how I got familiar with the breed and fell in love with the breed. Yeah. But I had been doing that professionally with him since I was 12 for a few years before I moved to a farm. Yeah. Uh, but I have, you know, just always only been interested in working with dogs. And whether it's my own or a friend's dog, even though it wasn't like fully professionally because there was no career path like that really in brazil you would actually have to go to college and get a you know certified uh to be a trainer and be able to like do the type of training that this guy did
0: really to be
1: able to stand out and actually offer service that would be anything worth doing yeah um but i worked with him but then again when i moved here you know i wasn't planning on staying i kind of came um taking it day by day Mm-hmm. My family just wanted me to learn English. I actually worked at, as a dishwasher the first year. Yeah. So I worked at a restaurant as a dishwasher. I didn't speak English. I had no dogs. So for almost the entire first year, there was no animals. My family, they basically convinced me to move here, to move me away from the dogs. They tried everything. <laughs> they tried to put me, like literally, you name it. They tried like instruments, yeah. sports. Um, They would try so many things. Nothing caught my attention. I would only be interested in dogs. They wanted me to be a a veterinarian. I didn't really like school that much. So they, you know, they really didn't know, but they, they were willing to pay for college. My family had been coming to the U.S. for many years before me. I was the first person born in the U.S. So I had this advantage over them that they were very, they were like, this is the biggest gift you have that you don't realize you have this opportunity. You know, we came from a very poor family with my grandparents living like, um, like very poorly to then being able to come here and then raise their kids to have a better future, which then my dad and my two aunts, they were able to go to college and um, get good jobs. And then they were able to be there for me, for me to be able you know, to come here and have a place. Yeah. Um, and they wanted me to go to college. Like I said, it's just, that was def, I, I felt anxiety and a lot of pressure gr- growing up because I, they were not like forcing me, but that's, that it was a, a very um, constant topic of like, so ha- you know, what are you thinking? You know, uh, yeah. for you know different things, and they would come up with different things, and it just wasn't exciting to me. And I just knew I would be wasting my time if I did that. Yeah. So after what happened was actually after I got I got my first dog, he very quickly. That's when everything started. Sure. I I almost felt like deprived from doing what I loved to do. I got this first dog, and I did so much training with her it was all obedience. But she just knew so many tricks. And I would take her out to the pet stores. I would take her to the park. And it was how I was able to start connecting with other dog owners. And I finally felt like I found my place. Because the way that people responded to even just that one dog, you know, they were very amazed. And they were very intrigued. And I was able to connect with them and talk to other dog owners. And so from there, you opened the doors. And honestly, I loved doing it so much. And I had no direction. Like I said, when people said, like, oh my God, that's amazing. How do you do that with your dog? You know, and I would help them. They would literally charge me like, I, they would literally pay me like $20. Yeah.
0: And
1: I would spend the entire day with them. It was not, Yeah. you know, it was w- because it was such a new thing to me. Sure. To be able to like actually be recognized for something that I loved yeah. doing. Mm-hmm. And also because for the first year, I was I did not even have a dog. Yeah. So now to be connected with people. And my family told me like it's really difficult to have a dog in the US. You have all these licenses. You can't have a dog here and that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's very expensive and all these things. And so they really make it look like it was impossible sure. to own a dog. Mm. So when I finally saw people that had three dogs, that had four or five dogs, people that had horses in their backyard, I was like, you know, my family's not really telling me the truth. <laughs> and I finally I was, I was able to connect with just people and learn, like, how does it actually work here to have a dog, you know, how does it work? And so it was very interesting. And I would spend, like I said, the whole day with them just working and it was, it was a beautiful thing. And then word of mouth started spreading and very quickly, this happened really fast. Like after the first couple of months that I had that puppy, I actually ended up, so I lived in my aunt's finished basement. And they had a very, very regular schedule. So the, the way that this whole thing really like, blew up is that I started getting more dogs. Yeah. So I started uh, very quickly. I got uh, one more dog. I think I, literally a week later, that was a, a, a third dog. And then a month went by. And then I made the biggest jump of my life because I was very limited at this point. Like yeah. I said, I still wasn't on social media. I was just starting on social media at this point. But I was very new to everything. I was still learning the language. I hadn't traveled much. I was living in a small town in Brazil. And then I go online and I buy these two dogs from Pennsylvania. Yeah. And they're supposed to be delivered to me to Massachusetts. And I do it on my own. I'm so nervous because they come into the house, you know, like it's my first time making that type of jump. Yeah. So they got delivered and now I have five dogs. Yeah. And so I had those five dogs, I would say, for uh, I, I don't wanna lie, so you know, a month or two. It wasn't a very long time. And I was taking them out. And at this point, I was already like, every time my aunt would go out for work, I would take the dogs out. I was out all day long. And I was doing enough training. And I had a little bit of money saved up from, from just working that year. Because I didn't have to pay rent or anything. Sure. So from working as a dishwasher, that would like be enough to keep me going. I had bought my aunt's uh, old car at the time. And the, my family is like, they're, they're really good. But they really wanted to teach me the ways as well. Sure. So, they were, you know, a little bit wrong ways because... They were tra- uh, a little bit f- too forcey with the college thing. Yeah. But they actually made me buy my own car from them, which was like my aunt's used car. They didn't sure. give it to me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but I had a free place to stay. They were like very fair, but they also want to teach of me the things. They yeah. work, you know? So I do appreciate that too. And and we have a really good relationship, but we're very different people. So we don't really, like, they're not really uh, on board even now, really with, with what I'm doing because really? I kind of like, I live here in California by myself, but sure. it's all cool. Yeah. Uh, so my own would go to work. I would go out with the dogs, continue to establish myself with more dog people. And like I said, I was doing enough to to get me going, you know, and to pass by m- money-wise. And other than that, I was just out with my dogs and, and getting recognized for, yeah. like, how the dogs were obedient to me. Yeah. And then what happened was I actually, like, I, and it was a beautiful thing because I was connecting with people and it was such a, like, something that I had never experienced before. Sure. Because in Brazil... People would definitely noticed me and the dogs and the engagements that I had with the dogs. But it was more like, Oh, here he comes again with the dog. That was <laughs> like Dr. Doolittle was yeah. my you know, my nickname or Noah from the Noah's Ark. Like that's what yeah. they would call me. And it was kind of like a funny thing. It's kinda like a you know, like I don't know, that was they would see yeah, it, sure. But they didn't know anything else yeah. to relate to other than this guy is just crazy with animals, you know. Yes. And when I came here, it was like this. Oh my god, like how do you do that? Like yeah. they were just they, there was a different feedback that I had never seen before. Yeah, and so people started asking me to train their dogs, and I started. And I'm someone like we talked about a little earlier that it's really difficult to say no to. Yeah, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I have, I'm. I'm like a challenge myself a lot. So I'm already with five dogs, and my aunt only thinks I have one. You know, to so come <laughs> home, the dogs are quiet and obedient. If one little dog barks during dinner because we had dinner together upstairs, I had to run down. So it's, like, yeah. oh, it's my one dog barking. And you know, I was able to do it fine for a couple of months. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And, yeah, and I was even boarding dogs. <clears throat> so I would board dogs yeah. for people, like <laughs> that. I was training, and at one point, I remember I had like just three little dogs staying there. And one day, I was uh, b- uh, boarding the dog during the day. pet Petsitting the dogs at my house. Uh, I think there was like two, yeah, two two extra dogs, and my uh, and the dogs would run the house when she was not home. Yeah, and I would you know, like them socialize around the house. And she came home early one day. Oh no! <laughs> Without any warning, it was like literally the biggest shock of my life because I like my fam, my aunt, especially. Like I said, they came from having nothing. Sure. My their parents coming here, giving them an opportunity, so they have really good jobs. They have good careers. Yeah. But they have they are very much like by the book. Yeah. You know, they mm-hmm. don't know how to run their own businesses. <laughs> they don't sure. break the rules. They like they follow things like very very on by the book and so to see the dogs alone or just that idea of like you know you have all just licenses that you need you cannot have dogs in the house like that and all just things you cannot have certain breed when they saw when she saw the the seven dogs running loose in the house that was like that that shock and they're very strict like they they i don't know how to explain but they have a way to intimidate me sure even though they they, they're never physical they just have a way to look at you like (laughs) what are you doing you know and it's like (laughs) that you're just afraid of i don't yeah, know yeah. how to explain but that i remember that that shock and then she was literally like what are these dogs and when i told them you know i was boarding two but five of them were mine she was like no you're joking like get them out of the house yeah. and she's like afraid it's almost like this look of fear yeah like why just dogs here? like i don't know what to do right now you know uh, which i can tell you another funny story right after this really quick it's kind of my sure. family I already know that i have a habit of doing this yeah, yeah so this is something that put probably put her in a shock <laughs> i was like oh my god it's happening again oh, no. you know <laughs> because i used to cry and and bring new dogs home when i was very young and cry for my my way to have the dogs yeah and i grew up in a family with uh, getting off topic a little bit mm-hmm. my parents were divorced i was the first kid my grandparents Had done everything to like try to be there for me because my parents were really young. They're fighting. I was in the middle of that mess. So they kind of always tried to like allow me a little bit more, you know, like um, because I was the first grand kid and uh, I had a troubled childhood with my parents. So they would I would cry for a new dog and they would allow me. So this was back in Brazil. Mm -hmm. I would always come home with a new puppy and. I would be eight, nine years old and I would hold and cry until they allowed me to have it. And I always got in my way. There was not even one single time where they took the dog and took it away. You know, they always. Isn't that what these
0: dogs are doing to owners nowadays? What you were doing to your parents? What is that? Isn't this what these dogs are doing to owners nowadays? What you were doing to your parents?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So they. so then I have that reputation,
1: right? And so my aunt... Actually, that's the reason why they said no animals when sure. I went to the U.S. Because they want to move me away from that and go into college. She saw the dogs. She freaked out. And she basically... Um, she didn't know what to do. She, she ended up calling the animal control because she wanted to make sure that she's not getting in trouble for having sure. the dogs. The animal control comes to the house and she actually says, like, actually, you're allowed to have up to five dogs. <laughs> you know, so... Like, it's not breaking the rules or anything. And she's like, no. Only one dog. Yeah. And so... That I was she was 18 at the time, and you know she wanted them gone right away. The animal control talked to her that like I I would have to have a few days, mm-hmm. you know, a week or so to just to figure out what I was gonna do with the dogs. Yeah, she couldn't force me to get them out right away, and I it was very like we didn't really talk for a while. It was like she's just in shock, you know. Yeah, and I moved out. So uh, and that, that's when I moved out and. Um, I had I talked to everybody that I had been working with that admired my work and told them my situation. I only had the car. I basically was like homeless when I first moved out. Yeah, Um, I was like in the truck and I was in between like friends and, um, you know, it it wasn't necessarily easy. I had some bad incidents. I literally had uh, a place where I paid the money in cash, went to take a shower, came back out. And the guy who's like the roommate, the owner of the house. Literally looked at me like, well, when are you going to pay the rest of the money? Like, I gave oh, all the money. And I knew it. And I just something was off. And I remember looking like underneath the newspapers on the floor and the money is there. Yeah. And so now, you know, I'm move, moving out of there, but then having no place to go. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I had clients, I had friends, but I was still kind of felt like limited on who am I going to tell all this? Like, I'm basically. Of course. And yeah. I was not kicked out of my house. It was a decision that I made because I didn't want to comply anymore to that, you know? Yeah. I knew that I had finally found my path that I was trying for all these years growing up. I'm not gonna go back and comply by getting rid of all the dogs and keeping one yeah. and then living under their roof and following their rules and never getting anywhere. Yeah. So uh, I, you know, again, there was a lot of back and forth with this. Eventually I was able to rent a little studio with one of my clients who had like this old house uh, that was divided in many, many different parts, and I got a little studio. This was back in on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And then from there, I started doing more training and, you know, taking the dogs out more, was able to move to the big apartment. Eventually, I had the full house. And then from there, I was able to move into a, a newer house, which is actually pretty new. I was the first person that, to move in there. And we had kind of like an uh, unconventional uh, mortgage because it was more like a contract to buy the house. Yeah. And that's right the when I, when I started with the problems on not having the license. Yeah, that makes sense. Because then I jumped in, Like, now I have this nice house, but, you know, no license and yeah. being harassed that I cannot have the dogs there. Um, That went for a while. And I ended up having to walk away from all of that because I had too much on my place to be able to follow through with, like, keeping the house and, you know, renting it to someone else. Yeah. Uh, I ended up. Then I moved to uh, the 100-acre the farm. Yeah. And then I was there with zero problems for a few years. Um, but I, then I also realized, I you know, it, I felt like I stepped down because I was used to already having my own everything, my yeah. own place, you know. Then I was kind of sharing someone's house, which was two really good friends to this day. Yeah. But I needed my own space. And, and then I moved to South Carolina. Yeah. Which was the first time moving away from the state where I had built everything from. So I had to start over. yeah so it was a whole not big hit because moving to South Carolina, it definitely felt like I, I honestly just say, to just say this really quickly. I one thing that does make me proud of myself is that I between all the hate and the neg- you know all, all of these things, even having publicity really fast is that most people would not survive it. No I would agree. Personal, I would agree yeah' no yeah. level yeah. to be able to handle all of it as well as on a business level, they would not be able to to survive. Yeah. Because when I moved to to, uh, South Carolina, I had no cell phone service for the first, like, two years. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to move on to using a house phone. I I was in a very small town with 500 people. All my regular clients were completely gone. I had to completely reestablish myself. The mentality of people that is very different, you know, it's in the South, uh, especially in a small town. They're not used to really getting the dogs trained as much. So... It took me like almost two years to reestablish myself. So I was like down to the ground. I was literally, nothing was happening. There was no business and I didn't give up. And I don't, I kept pushing, pushing, pushing. And then slowly things started building up. Like just people, actually the local people realizing the difference between the dogs I had versus like all these backyard dogs that, you know, that was seen there, the type of training that I was doing, the benefits of training and being able to make the dog a little bit more a part of your life. And then I was able to completely reestablish myself and I was striving. I had, you know, I had to do things differently. Um, it was like people sending the dogs to me to be trained from all over the country and dogs being transported to them. And I did it. And then, but then I also realized like that was, I told you earlier, it was not how I wanted to do it. Yeah, just to be on a isolated on a piece of property away from everybody and having all the dogs there. And that's when I, um, it started actually it started as a traveling idea to start travel traveling again. Yeah. And the first stop was Los Angeles. And I had an opportunity. Everybody's telling me this is where you have to be. Yeah. Look at all this. Like the opportunities here is endless. So I ended up um, making a decision that same week. Like I'm gonna move. And then within a couple of weeks, I like um, found accommodations for all the dogs and besides my the six that I took with me. Mm -hmm. and then I moved, I had someone um, drive my car and my dogs and kind of started over, fresh moved, left everything behind I literally, I was so overwhelmed at that point, to be honest even though things were, business wise things were already better at this point but mentally, like I was not in a good place, it was just, I I just felt like I had to work really extra hard to basically just maintain what I had, you know, I wasn't going up and I realized it was I realized it was like being in the wrong place. Yeah. So I gave away all my supplies, like literally thousands and thousands of candles and collars, like sheds that would bring you that I had bought, walking away from the house that I had a lot of money down because I was also like with the potential to buy as well. Sure. So like we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars, not counting the monthly fee, that I walked away from everything. So I would say like literally one shocking thing to people that like they don't realize. I literally have walked away from, like, probably close to $200,000. Yeah. Just from not knowing what I was doing. That's just in, like, down payments. Every time I moved, I left all my candles behind. like, And I always bought new, the retriever candles, like, brand new. Nothing, you know, no sales, nothing, like, new. And then the houses, the sheds, like I said, all the supplies. And every time I moved, I started fresh. Mm -hmm. Because... I wouldn't pay to move everything and not have a place to put it. You know, yeah. I was moving to a, a different situation where things were differently. Yeah. So that was just a lot of, um, you know, ups and downs with that as well. Sure. And oh, then, what? Well, um, what I'm trying to get at? Yeah. So I moved to California and and here you are now. Yeah. You know, and then I yeah had to start fresh and even you know it and then finally started to learn. Uh, I feel like I, it was really easy for people to take advantage of me in a way of ha- like having a lot of the dogs, mm-hmm. because I was very much like in their hands. Um, I couldn't just move whenever I wanted, no. you know. Yeah, yeah. Like it was hard um, because everything was around the dogs, and being able to have the dogs, having the right neighborhood to have the dogs. So I was very limited, and I felt very like trapped in yeah. and lower confidence because even no matter how well I was doing, I was still kind of. Um, restricted because yeah. there's like, you know, certain licenses that you need, certain pro- type, property types that you need to have the dogs and finally when I moved and I had only, even just six, it's a lot but it was like, at this point, I had enough connections that I knew six is a manageable number, yeah. like I'm not going to be homeless if I need to move out overnight, you know
0: yeah.
1: and or whatever, like it, it's always a little scary, I feel like, unless you have really established on a property like and you really plan on staying there if you have like 20 plus dogs, but if you're like at any moment, you might have to move, you know? Yeah, And I kind of felt like that because I, I was unhappy where I was many times, but I was forced to stay there because I couldn't just pick up and move because of the dogs. Yeah. So I would, you know, sometimes be there for years, just locked down. And just because I had the dogs there and I couldn't leave them there.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then
1: when I moved, there's another thing like, you know, um, it was like a year after I moved, Because I don't have to post what the dogs are. And one thing that I learned, which is how I deal with also the negativity right now and the haters. And I know that there's people out there, you know, out to get me. um, I'm very careful with like um, certain things. Like literally as little as people know, knowing where I am, they can cause a problem from afar. You know, I mean, there's been situations where people called the security of a, a hotel where I am just say that my dog is trying to attack them just because i post that i'm (laughs) that i'm in the hotel yeah you know so i have been harassed until they realize oh this person is on social media yeah and that's where it's coming from and you know it's like there's no base on what they're saying but people would do that it's really bizarre that i became such a such a big target i think going back to what we talked in the beginning they never won Mm -hmm. from you know me having the illegal candle and me moving up and i moved up and they're still there like Always trying to drag me down. You know, they're looking and trying to dra- drag me down. Yeah. And for so, for so the slightest thing that they can do, to even if I if the, in their in um you know in their dreams, if I was to get kicked out of a place, just the embarrassment of like, oh, he just got kicked out. Or for them to be able to manipulate that into something else, sure. like his dogs did something wrong and yeah, that's, that's why he's why. being kicked yeah. out. You know, they do that. And so I have to be really careful about all these different moves that I make. Yeah. I usually you know post after I have already left a place and yeah. Um, just. You know, for that those reasons, but when I moved, I didn't tell people where my dogs are because I also there's also uh, people have a reputation of harassing the people that have worked with me in the past. Yeah, I had vets that were very happy to work with me, and then they would become these evil vets just because they yeah. support me. You know, and in reality, I was helping them more than they would ever be able to help me. Yeah, because they're not endorsing me or anything. I don't yeah. ask people to endorse me. I don't need. You know, especially when it's like a local vet, I'm literally there helping them and they're very happy, but then they'll be harassed by people. So when I moved with the dogs that I didn't take with me, ironically, it took almost a year, but just some random girl on TikTok decided to make a TikTok video saying that the biggest highlight of the story is that I dumped my dogs from a U-Haul truck in the desert and the dogs were never found.
0: I remember hearing about that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so that was like this whole new wave out of the blue because things were peaceful and there's like just thousands of people commenting, 25 dogs, 25 dogs, rather 25 dogs. And I try, like, right, in, I was on a live. I remember it, like, all these people come out of the blue because, you know, the video has just hit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like trying to respond, but also kind of like trying to look up where it's coming from. Cause I know yeah. when there's a certain wave of people, then I know Something someone, happened. Did, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know whether it's like some just one random person posting it or someone did a big video that's getting a lot of views. Because there's gonna be a lot of relatable comments, you know, about one certain thing, so I cannot miss that. Yeah. And so I'm looking and then I found out the I found the video and I'm trying to explain like it was kind of ridiculous, but everything I said is, Oh, he's defensive, he's clearly lying, he wouldn't be and it's like he cannot win, you yeah. know. No, if he you're can't. talking about it and it's like, oh he's clearly talking about it and he's lying. Yeah. Uh he doesn't care if it's not true, and if I don't talk about it, then it's like obviously he has nothing to say because he's lying. But it was like a very bizarre thing with no base yeah the dog <clears throat> it makes no sense why i would dump dogs no. in the desert that were worth thousands of dollars that people know i have a reputation of selling them for really good prices they're trained yeah it would just don't make any sense there's no base because there's no
0: dogs found there's no evidence of anything so as i was reading about that like earlier i the only like their only reasons for like justifying saying it was just, they didn't know where the dogs were. So they exactly. were like, because we don't they, know where they are. This had to have happened.
1: Yeah. And it's also like, they yeah, they, they don't know. They saw you haul trucks going to the property yeah. to pick up the pianos as well as cars to pick up the dogs. Yes. And they assume the dogs were put in the U-Haul truck and taken off the property, but they never arrived to California, but I never said they were supposed to arrive to California. Yeah. I never said they're on the way to California. They were never on the way to California. Why'd they ever be coming here? Yeah. And simply, they don't know where they went, which they went to different people. They were taken off the property and they went, you know, to different different houses uh, from people that had dogs from me that I had uh, built a relationship over the years that would then house these dogs for me to be able to be in California. Yeah. And so it's again very baseless, but it makes a good story and people ran with it and. You know, it's one of those things like, how can I prove that it didn't happen? Sure. I mean, I guess I have tried and people could say like, oh, just show where the dogs are and they'll be happy. They're going to say those are different dogs. Yeah. Because they say 25 dogs, they don't know what dog they're talking about. They that's have true. no idea what they're referring to. So if I show up any dog, they're going to say, that's, not, the that's not one of the 25, yeah, yeah. you know? So literally, unless someone can tell me like, I don't see a way where I could actually prove because I have text message from the people that the dog where the dogs are at I have I FaceTime them there's tons of pictures back and forth but there's no way to identify all those dogs were regular black and red German Shepherds <laughs> yeah so there's absolutely no way for people to you know identify them through photos or for me to prove that those were the dogs and also there's not 25 dogs either yeah like you know they, they just put a random number because a lot of the, the dogs had already moved so it really came that like 15 probably around 15 dogs that were then moved to just different friends just stay yeah. with them. Um so everything is you know bizarre. It was kind of sure. funny at first, but then that lingered That's on serious. for like a couple yeah. of months yeah. of like twenty five dogs, twenty-five dogs, twenty-five dogs. Which um you know social media they they don't take your platform down because of stuff like that. But because I was posting certain videos that were going under the radar as graphic content and dangerous activities. Sure. You know, which is pretty much the only reasons the TikTok got banned, which then is again another thing. They banned him because he's abusing dogs and there's nothing to do with abusing dogs at all. Actually, none of the videos were ever taken down for any type of abuse or neglect. Yeah. It it was the content that I was posting. It was like the skits that I was posting and not even training videos back then, which again, I think everything happens for a reason. You know, I could be really upset and and depressed. And instead, I was like, you know, people really like my content, like... And I'm going to start over and I started focusing on posting the training videos, which now I'm back at like, again, 1.2 million on both platforms on, you know, TikTok and YouTube. And I'm way more better branded because it's all dog training content. Like before people just knew me as like a dog trainer because of my own dogs, but they didn't really know what I was doing. Yeah. And then now I have all these different services, like with the group trainings, and I do like the three days with a client, you know, but it's all featured on social media yeah. with my videos. So it kind of like it motivated me to also post on YouTube, which is a much stronger platform. Yeah. And I'm growing on there, you know, consistently right now, even faster than TikTok. Mm-hmm. And I was able to reestablish my TikTok, and uh, I have no strikes on my accounts. And so it's like, it's a, you know, it works. Like I said, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's that's awesome. So, okay, so I have one last really quick question here because <laughs> this is the one thing everybody has consistently asked me to ask you that has, has wanted to be on. So how did the the brand of the dog daddy become? I mean, like, it seems like you came out of nowhere just dressed head to toe in Versace and Louis V and stuff, and it is so iconic, right? It's the one thing everybody sees. How did that yeah. come about? Well, I think, you know, again, when I, when I first moved to the U.S., i had no
1: direction in any aspect like i grew up where i didn't have to care about what i, I wore at all like i would, i had no style sure. you know I would, like it, it was just really crazy and i and i didn't care there was not something that i had to like you know be concerned with mm-hmm. um and then you know things go and i don't know i i okay one thing that i'm gonna admit and i think like maybe some some people were like born with with this i it's a very natural thing so you know don't hold it against me but <laughs> I always like to stand out. Sure, like that's normal in in in, co- in school, not college, but like in in high school, uh, in in school in general in Brazil. I would one time I pinned my ears like all the way, and this was a very conservative like sure. part of Brazil. You know, the kids are out in the country; they don't even have guys don't even have earrings. Yeah. and I did six on the ear. <laughs> I brought a mouse to school one time, like a little a like, you know, hamster. Yeah, just I wanted to stand out to be extra always from the beginning sure so that was like something that I think it's just I think uh I think just making it more fun yeah it's really it's like that excitement of you know you choose something that everybody's gonna look at it it's like and they're gonna talk about it it's just exciting it builds up this engagement yeah not only on social media but just in general so I have always been like that um and so even when I was starting out even though I didn't have a style. I would do things like whether it was like, you know, short, less walking the dogs or like I don't know. There was just a lot of. I would wear something that you know, just it would stand out. Sure. And, but I I did not have a direction. The name thing was very difficult. A lot of people were suggesting, so I went to different names because it, none of them were catchy. It didn't feel like that's me, yeah. you know. But I needed something, so it was like the shepherd guy. Um, <laughs> uh the most one that really stood for a little while on social media was like Augusto the dog trainer. Yeah yeah. But that to me is so boring. Yeah. It's like it's it just yeah. felt like what is that, you know? A lot of people a lot of people do that and there's nothing against them, sure. but because I'm someone that really likes to stand out, that's just like Augusto the dog trainer it just it did, it didn't it wasn't it. Yeah. But it was there for a long time. And then on TikTok, when TikTok started really blowing up uh last year and I was getting like 100 million views a month I was you know everybody out in public was like recognizing me i had already at this point uh with tiktok i started wearing a lot of uh outfits and more like track suits yeah and i think i I saw a lot of the people like with the you know the dancing videos and you know you kind of watch more you learn you kind of see and take an idea of like oh that's the style that i like yeah yeah and you kind of look up to people that you know you relate to and if you um you, you associate with so i started wearing those types of outfits And then i started thinking of a name i was like really what makes sense like i want something that that is me that really like you know stands out and um i don't know how it was but like the dog daddy just came out yeah (laughs) and i i thought about it i mentioned it to a couple of people and i got Mixed feedback uh-huh. um, on my social media, like I was mostly Facebook. I think people are more conservative on Facebook, mm-hmm. I, especially because they're like my oldest followers. Like they have been there for the longest. That's the you know the, the main platform I use. They're like, no, people are gonna think it's unprofessional. They're not gonna take it serious anymore. <clears throat> so, but then a lot of people were like, yes, I like that. It's be so <laughs> that, that it's kind of cool. It's yeah. you know, and <clears throat> I, it was about 50-50, but I knew I needed a change. And the people that were saying yes, they seemed, like, excited about it, which yeah. was kind of the idea that I was going for. So I overnight changed everything. And this was about two years ago, I would say. Yeah. Um, and I just changed everything. I got the dog daddy tattoo, which is, you know. And again, a lot of people, they're like, oh, it's it's a horrible tattoo. And the thing that I look at it, the way that I look at it, I went in the middle of the pandemic. I'm a very impatient person. It's completely my fault. <laughs> I paid more than what you cost to go to a better tattoo artist. It's not like that. I'm trying to, you know, be cheap, but it was in the middle of the pandemic. They were all closed and they're just people working like on the ground. And the guy, you know, pretty much was like, do not have enough experience. And I'm completely okay with it. And that, and oh, sorry, the light just went out. Oh, it's okay. So I, I was completely okay with it and I went with it anyways and I did it and you know and i i didn't like i kind of let him decide what would be the best way to go with sure it after the second round because the first one it was just the lining yeah then he one line and then he came back and did it again and yes it's, it looks like a sharpie type of you know thing
0: <laughs> but let me tell you but it's like on brand you know it's like it, it fits no, like, the brand the,
1: thing is that the amount of respect that i gained after doing that sure like I don't know if because now the way that I carry myself and I know who I am and I know exactly like the direction I'm going. I never get one single person in public that doesn't know me asking me like, why do you have that? Or what is that? Mm-hmm. Like, they just look at me with more respect, actually. They're like, yeah, yeah. you know, like, who are you? Are you You're a rapper? Yeah, yeah. yeah, A lot of people think that I'm either like a rapper or in the movies. <laughs> That's the number one question. I actually want to make a video like that because people yeah, yeah. Get, get asked. But they just people come up to me like out of the blue, even if they don't know me. They're like, who are you? Like, what do you do? They just intrigued, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just a dog trainer. And they're like, yeah. what, what? A yeah. dog trainer? I'm, a, I'm on YouTube, you know, but I'm a dog trainer. Uh-huh. But yeah, so. That's awesome. But the tattoo kind of goes like that. And then with, and obviously when people do have someone around that says, like, he's a dog daddy. He literally like travels around training dogs. He's got his own pack of dogs. It's like, it's really the real deal. Then it makes more sense to people. Yes. But now, like, if I go to the bank, if I go to like the local stores, they don't call me by my first name at all It's <laughs> all the dog daddy which was, you know I it was a really huge thing because it's very good for branding like it could be one person in the bank and they were like oh it's the dog daddy's here and then everybody else is like what? funny yeah and everybody's like the dog daddy and then they think <laughs> it's like something funny at first and they're like no like look him up he's the dog daddy and they usually would tell them like look him up you know because that's why people know me it's like yeah. on social media which is all good yeah. for promoting
0: and people and see you're yes, legit. I
1: mean, maybe yeah. I would have done a little better job if I could, but I don't regret it because it's been a part of like helping me grow and get my name out there. Yeah. Um, it You know, it doesn't bother me. And I think even like when, if I get to explain it, that's what it is. I mean, anyone can make a mistake. I don't regret it. I, the only mistake is that I was impatient and I went to an a tattoo artist that was not experienced to do this type of tattoo. And I did it anyway. It's completely my fault. But other than that, you know, it's sat and done, uh, and it's
0: fine. What's your favorite designer brand?
1: <clears throat> um, I'm not allowed to say that. Oh, you're not. <laughs> all right, all right. Fair enough. I have. There's a few. Okay. There's a few of them. All right. Yeah. All right. Fair enough.
0: Uh, well listen man I really appreciate you joining us. I really appreciate you spending a little bit of extra time here with us yeah uh, this for is, having me. this has been awesome. Uh, this is gonna go live here' well, i'll I'll message you afterwards and let you know exactly when it'll go live and send it to you so you could use it however you want to and stuff um and you know next time you're in the Ohio area let me know and we'll we'll see if we can yeah link I'm up. coming
1: to Ohio I think it's um April I have to look at my schedule but I have a class scheduled there yeah
0: do you know where I know you were in Columbus recently
1: what's the main city I cannot pronounce it. Columbus. Um, Cincinnati. Oh, Cincinnati. No, yeah, Cincinnati. Yeah.
0: Cool. Yeah, not too far from us. Yeah, um, we'll definitely have to link up when you're here.
1: Okay. Yeah, sounds good. I will help you promote this as well. Let me know when it's live.
0: Awesome. All right, Augusto. I appreciate it. Take care of yourself. All right. Nice talking to you. Yep. Bye-bye.